are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. It is Thursday night, April the 6th, and tonight we are doing our Bristol Dirt NASCAR Weekend Preview, and of course we will also have our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Up segment. In our first half hour, we're going to start with some short track news, and then we'll give you updates on the Arkham Menards East and West Series, along with an update from the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, those series are not racing this weekend. In our next half hour, we are going to preview the Truck Series and the Cup Series. They are racing on Bristol Dirt this weekend, so uh, that's going to be fun to watch. And then, of course, stay tuned for our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion. We're actually doing it about a half hour early tonight. We're starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So joining me for our tonight's uh, show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, Sharon, as they say, sometimes things work out. Uh, we only got the two races there at Bristol. We're going to preview shorten up the preview short, uh, portion. I think with what we got for hot topics, that extra half hour that we have for hot topics, probably a necessity tonight, don't you think? I do indeed think so. <laughs> uh, we really uh, have a lot uh, to talk about during Hot Topics. So giving us that extra half hour, I think, is going to be helpful. Um, and somehow I think we're still going to use it. The other night we only got two Hot Topics in in an hour's period of time. <laughs> so um, it, it's going to be interesting. Well, and uh give a little preview here if fans are just tuning in. Uh, fortunately, some of it's still the same. A lot of it about penalties. But some good things coming out of it as well. So stay tuned for Hot Topics, and uh, hopefully we have a good good discussion tonight. Yep, we tend to all get on our soapbox, but I think it will be a good one here. Okay, now let's go ahead and get into our short track news. Uh, we'll start over at Racing America. Uh, there's uh, quite a bit going on. Uh, you know, the all-star race is going to be coming up at North Wilkesboro, and they revealed their format. Uh, one of the things we'll probably talk about on Hot Topics if we get a chance. Uh, so quick thoughts on that, uh, Jay. Well, that's funny you say if we get the chance. You're right. Um, a lot of momentum building towards this all-star race. It's on a short track, so it falls under the short track section. Um, I think it's going to be huge. I really do. Uh, the format is back to it's not necessarily any big modifications or uh, a format really it's what the short tracks do they run heat races they run the feature so i think they hit the nail on the head by sticking to i want to say simpler format but when i when i look at it and i don't want to get too much into it before we go to hot topics but on your bigger tracks we've seen races when just for say they they raced it at charlotte we saw two races here at charlotte they wanted to do something a little different having it on the short track is the difference so, again, there didn't need to be a whole lot of modifications to how they ran it, segments, and this and that. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be an all-out short track bang. <laughs> yep. But another uh, piece is one of the greatest uh, short track drivers, uh, Jonathan Davenport, is going to be racing uh, both the Truck Series and the Cup Series this weekend at Bristol on Dirt. Yeah, I saw that with uh, that he had added, I believe, for Spire Motorsports in the trucks, and, and I think that's a great thing. We've seen multiple of these dirt track ringers, if you will, instead of road course ringers, do the truck series. Uh, we're going to get to see it at the cup level, and I'm really interested. 
Davenport has got to be considered one of the best dirt late model drivers in the country, especially after the last couple of seasons he's had. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then also getting back to North Wilkesboro, there's going to be a Cars Tour uh, event there, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be part of uh, that race at North Wilkesboro. So that's going to be fun to watch. I think it's during the same weekend as uh, the weekend that uh, they're running the All-Star Race. It is, and that goes with the uh, the whole putting the – race the uh, all-star race there at north wilkesboro it's not just a one race deal it's an event mm-hmm. a weekend they got multiple races the trucks are going to be there and the dale earnhardt jr thing ties in on several levels uh him being part ownership now of the cars tours we know he still enjoys getting behind the car and i saw today that he's got a deal with sundrop for i believe two yeah. years a multi-year deal with sundrop that's a part of that whatever race he chooses here and there um, I don't know if they'll bring it to the Xfinity level when he does his one-off Xfinity race, but to be part of that late models, I think they're all positive things tying into this rejuvenation of dirt track or grassroots, sorry, grassroots racing, not just dirt track, mm-hmm. but grassroots racing. Yeah, this is really uh, fantastic. Uh, that race is a midweek race as well. It's Wednesday, May the 17th. So uh, you'll be able to, uh, if you're in that area, don't forget to get your tickets for that late model stock car event, uh, the Cars Late Model Tour at North Wilkesboro Speedway on Wednesday, May the 17th. So uh, I think that's all I'm going to get into here. Let's move over to Flow Racing because we want to we want to hit a couple different sites here. Uh, by the way, Racing America does a great job of of uh, putting a lot of good information out on short track, what's happening in the short track world. Uh, but so does Flow Racing. Um, so uh, there's a, there's video footage that you can watch. Uh, the Tezos All Star Championships. Opening weekend, though, at Attica is going to be postponed uh, because of heavy rain. So, uh, unfortunately, that we're going to have to wait a little bit for that. But um, this is where you can find out about all of those things that are happening uh, in, in the road course, uh, I mean, in the uh, short track world. Thunder Road is going to host a late model all-star race during the XRX event. Uh, so that's going to be fun to see as well. In Vermont. It will, and unfortunately, unfortunately, this time of year, we've talked about this. I know for uh, the local dirt tracks, we've battled this. This time of year, uh, your northern states aren't even close to being able to be open. They're still sitting under eight, eight feet of snow uh, piled up, but uh, down here, it's the rain. Um, so hopefully everybody can get settled in here in the next couple of weeks. I know a lot of them looking for, you mentioned, the opening weekends, having to push those back or adjust schedules that they can get in and provide good racing. Uh, sometimes they push ahead with it, and it turns out to be kind of disastrous, so you don't want to do that either. But if you do want to find out uh, the full-time list, uh, the list of full-time drivers in that series, the Tezos All-Star Circuit of Champions, uh, they do have that available over at Flow Racing uh, with kind of a, a nice little rundown on all of these uh, full-time drivers. So I think that's worth a read as well. It does, and that's why we appreciate Flow Racing so much. And it's not just about broadcasting the races, which a lot of people love, um, but the information that these writers provide 
on the backgrounds, like you said, of the drivers. I know Flow Racing did the a segment on the Dirty Dollar Ranch, I believe is uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. Davenport's ranch in the Carolinas. So you get that same background information um, on these drivers and who they are. And they do have another uh, written article of five things to know about Jonathan Davenport before the NASCAR Bristol Dirt Race as well, uh, if you want to get to know him before uh, the races this weekend. I'm going to head now over to real quick short track uh, scene uh, where Matt Weaver writes. Uh, he's got a lot of great articles over there as well. We're running out of time very quickly here, uh, including some commentary uh, articles. He's got one here, uh, Mobile SRL was a good time, more on the Pollard versus Roderick uh, situation there. But uh, the, a lot of great articles over here. And uh, NASCAR hires Joey Denowitz for regional touring role. Uh, I thought was uh, one that kind of relates not just to short tracks, but, well, it does relate to short tracks, but it also relates to NASCAR. One big shout out to you. You mentioned uh, Matt Weaver. Uh, you know, as I got into into the national coverage um, with you, Sharon, and got to go to some races, I don't know that there is yeah. anybody else that covers short track racing like Matt Weaver. Uh, you've got to <laughs> give him a big shout out. I know he's moved into some different executive positions, but still bringing you that short track news. Yes, he does, and he does a really good job of it. Okay, I want to get over to uh, ARCA Racing, and for some reason I didn't pull that side up. I pulled up everything except ARCA, so I'm going to pull that up now. Um, ARCA Racing is not, the ARCA Menard Series are not racing this weekend, but they always put up some great articles over on their race site as well, the ARCARacing.com. The next races. for the three series, ARCA East, ARCA West, and the ARCA Menard Series, uh, will include a uh, combined event between the ARCA West and the ARCA Menard Series, the General Tire 200 that will, well, actually, it's two different races at two different tracks, but on the same day. I keep thinking this is a combined event, and it's not. <clears throat> Excuse me. The race for the General Tire 200 for the Arkham and Art Series is actually going to take place on April 22nd at Talladega Super Speedway at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time and will be televised on Fox Sports 1. But Napa Auto Parts uh, Blue DEF uh, 150, also on April 22nd, will take place at 11.15 p.m. Eastern Time. And that race is going to be at Kern County Raceway Park, and that will be live-streamed on Flow Racing. So uh, two different parts of the country, uh, but great racing at both of those tracks. And I know we got that gap. That'll be about, what, three weeks, two, yeah, yeah. two weeks, a little over two weeks. But you still want to check out the Arkham Menards uh, homepage there. Again, some great writers, some great stories that keep you filled in. And I, and I got to say this, uh, sometimes that's a good thing when we talk about that, because right now Sean Hijani, um had on as a guest on Monday night. A couple of highlights from his uh, win there at Urindale, his articles up on him, and some history ones looking back at, they got one on, Gary Bradbury uh, picking up a win yeah. back in 1994. Yeah, yeah, they've got some great articles up here. Um, 
And then they're moving the Arkham and Art Series Dawn 150 is going to move to Kansas Speedway on May 20, uh, May 6th of 23. Uh, so that's a big move for, for that sponsor. Uh, it's now going to be over at the Kansas Speedway. So I think that's a good thing as well. But I want to make sure we also mention that the Arkham and Art Series East also has a race this month coming up. That will be the General Tires 150. That will be on April the 28th out at Dover Motor Speedway and will be available via live streaming at Flow Racing at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So... The big, big thing I take away from there, uh, you mentioned it, the General Tire. I know sometimes fans get, get a little confused, as I just did uh, a little bit. That's how much General Tire has invested in the Arkham Menard Series. I mean, they put so much into the Arkham Menard Series as a sponsor, whether it be the um, Pole Award, the full race sponsorship, and they actually got the uh, Bob Ducati as a recipient of the 2022 Arkham Menard yeah. Series General Tire Spirit Award. So big shout-out to General Tire uh, being a full-time supporter of the Arkham Menard Series. Yes, indeed. You've heard us talk about Bob Bunkati, and we've had a lot of his drivers here on our show. Uh, he was the owner of Sunrise Racing, was Sunrise Ford Racing. He dropped the, the Ford part of it and became Sunrise Racing in the past year, uh, but is now retired. That's the team that uh, um, Tim Huddleston from Irwindale Speedway is taking over. And it's now high. It's now part of High Point Racing, and so he's got Trevor Huddleston and Sean, not Sean, who's racing with High Point. It's uh, Jake Bowman who's racing some select races uh, with that team this year. So uh, very well deserved for Rob Bruncati to get the General Tire Spirit Award uh, from last year. And there's a nice article about it, uh, as uh, Jay mentioned, right here at at ArcaRacing.com. And, and that's one that you talk about as an owner um, for the West Series specifically uh, with that Sunrise team. Um, you know it's got to happen at some point, and whatever he's choosing to move forward to, you got to appreciate that. But that's a, that's a heavy loss. That'd, that'd almost be like Venturini pulling out of the main Arkham Menard Series, just one of those staples that has been with that series. Um, can't even appreciate what they've done for all the different drivers that have come through the series. Yes, indeed. And Sean uh, Hingarani is uh, is one of the drivers that we've had on the show. Uh, we had him, I think, once or twice last year, and then he won a race at Irwindale recently, so we had him on the show Monday night, along with Jake Bowman, who's racing with that High Point racing team um, and is a rookie this season in the ARCA West Series. But Sean's going to be racing uh, just so you know, you're going to see that name, not just in the ARCA West this year. He's going to be racing uh, for the championship in the ARCA East series as well. So we'll see him on the entry list for both ARCA East and West and a few select uh, ARCA Menard series races as well. And that's one of the things we've seen uh, done before. I believe Todd Gillen was the last one that we saw attempt to do it of, of go for both championships. Uh, that tells you, again, the dedication uh, of the, the teams that are willing to do that, as well as these drivers. I mean, that's just how much their their desire is to race both on the West Coast and the East Coast for these championships. 
And I know when we yeah. talked about how the schedule change came about, we weren't real fan of it, but this also then gives them that opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, the, he's doing it uh, for the first time, uh, venturing in motorsports is uh, venturing into the ARCA West as well as the ARCA East. They've been a, a stalwart as far as the ARCA East is concerned, but uh, th- actually the win that they took at uh, Irwindale Speedway this uh, last weekend was the first time that Venturini has won in the ARCA West Series at that track. So that was kind of a historic moment for Venturini Motorsports. And I mentioned them as we're talking about a staple in the, in the Arkham and Ard series for them to support the East series as well as now move into the West. That tells you about the dedication of Venturini to the sport of racing, period. Um, yeah. You can't, and again, the number of drivers that that affects. Um, we could spend that 15, 20 minutes going through all the different drivers that have come through a team like Venturini or Brumcotti. Yes, it's, it's really amazing. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just super excited to see them doing that and super excited for them to get their first win in the West, uh, ARCA West Series, and to see that they're really making a commitment with Sean Hingarani and, and working with him to win that championship perhaps in the ARCA West, so, uh, as well as the East. So I'm, I'm excited for it and can't wait to see more. Well, we got we got to wait a little bit. Let's not get too excited. Remember, we've got to make sure we watch those dates so we don't try and preview a race before it happens. But that's how excited we get here at Fan for Racing about the, the short track East and West series as well. Exactly. Okay, now I do want to. Uh, I know I'm getting started uh, about a minute or so early, but I want to move on to the Xfinity series. Uh, they're not racing this weekend, uh, but their next race will be at Martinsville Speedway. The call 811.com before you dig 250. Uh, that race will be at Martinsville on Saturday, April the 15th at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will start at uh, 6.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Jay and I will preview that race uh, next weekend. Yeah, next weekend we'll be previewing that race. But we do want to give you some of the updates uh, that are provided uh, for the ARCA East. So let's start with the Snoko Rookie of the Year battle. Yeah, for the 2023 Snoko Rookie of the Year contenders in the Xfinity Series, now they have seven races under their belts as they get that week off to prepare for some more short track racing at Martinsville Speedway next weekend. Now, currently leading the pack is the most recent winner is Chandler Smith, driving for College Racing, and got in the playoffs with his one win now there at Richmond. He's also had four top fives, four top tens. He sits with 253 points. And that puts him up 50 points on Sammy Smith, who's second in the rookie standings. Now, moving on to him is uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, Sammy Smith. He also has already secured a spot in the playoffs with his first Xfinity Series career win at Phoenix Raceway earlier this season. And he's got a total of 203 points with his one win, two top fives, and two top ten finishes. And then Smith is 82 points up on third place, Parker Retzlaff. And he's driving for Jordan uh, Jordan Anderson Racing, excuse me. 
Uh, right now, third in those rookie standings after the seven races, has a total of 121 points. He's posted one top five and one top ten this season. And then closing out the rookie standings, we've got Blaine Perkins with 37 points. Now, Perkins has only made six starts this season, posting a best finish of 22nd at Atlanta Motor Speedway. But looking at those top three, we've seen two of them have wins, and Parker Retzlaff was real darn close. So I think we're going to see a great battle all the way into the playoffs with these rookies. Oh, I would agree with you. So eyes on the prize, the Martinsville edition. Two previous winters are go- winners are going to be entered in the race at Martinsville on April the 15th. Uh, and those are the junior motorsports teammates, Josh Berry and Brandon Jones. Now, Barry raced his way to the checkered flag in 21 after starting from the 29th spot. He led 95 of 250 laps on route to his first to that victory. Now, Jones snagged his win last season. Uh, in his five starts, he posted one win, one pole, and two top fives, including one pole, two top fives, and four top tens, and has led 142 laps. Now, while these drivers are sure to push for a second win this weekend, there's going to be some other drivers who are putting up a fight to post their first at the Martinsville track. There's Richard Childress Racing's Austin Hill. He only has two stints on that short track, uh, but he has put up some pretty good numbers. He posted a fourth-place finish at the spring race and a ninth-place finish at the fall race. That's uh, an impressive finish considering he's navigated his way to the front from the 36th starting spot. So Junior Motorsports' Sam Mayer has posted a top-ten finish in all three of his Martinsville starts, a fourth and 21, a fifth and sixth, respectively, in 22. The 20-year-old driver has yet to post an Xfinity Series win, so he's going to be sure to try to land his number one Chevrolet in Victory Lane next weekend. We'll have to see how that works out. Well, and how do you add more excitement to a Martinsville race? Cashing big. has had some big big checks cash already. Justin Algar grabbed the first dash for cash at Richmond. They had four drivers that competed in that first segment of the 2023 Xfinity Dash for Cash program last weekend at Richmond Raceway. Justin Algar, Sam Mayer mentioned, Daniel Hemrick, and Sammy Smith. But it was Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar who dashed his way to that $100,000 big check. Now, with the Dash for Cash win, Algar secures his spot in the second segment of the program here at Martinsville Speedway next weekend. He's going to be joined by Junior Motorsports teammates Josh Berry, Colleg Racing's Chandler Smith, and then Joe Gibbs Racing's John Hunter Nemechek. Now, Algar has five starts under his belt at Martinsville, posting three top fives and four top tens. Most recent finish at the track is fifth last fall. Barry is the only one of the four Dash for Cash qualifiers that has posted an Xfinity Series win at Martinsville, and that came in 2021. In his four starts, he's managed that one win, a top five, and a top ten, led a total of 135 laps. His most recent finish at the track, though, is 20th. Interesting thing here, both Smith and Nemechek will be posting their first Xfinity Series start at the .526-mile short track next weekend. So that's quite the mix there in the dash for cash. 
Yeah, it is. And and don't forget, Justin Algauer won that $100,000 last weekend. But because he's one of the qualifiers for this weekend, he has a chance to get that bonus money as well. Because if he wins all of the Dash for Cash uh, bonus opportunities, uh, he gets another big bonus that goes along with that. So we have to keep an eye on that. Well, we saw by those stats, he's got a shot at it. He does. Okay, moving on here. Colic Racing's Chandler Smith uh, found victory lane for the first time in the Xfinity Series, and uh, his hard work finally paid off last weekend at Richmond Raceway with that win in just 10 series starts. The victory was extra sweet for the number 16 Chevrolet driver after nearly posting his first win at Las Vegas Motor Speedway just last month only to lose the lead in the last lap and ultimately finished in third place. Now, as the Xfinity Series rests this weekend, while the Cup and the Truck Series head to Bristol for some dirt racing, Smith will get to savor his victory and strategize how to post a back-to-back win when he uh, returns with the series next week to Martinsville Speedway on April the 15th. Now, Smith is posting his first start at Martinsville in the Xfinity Series next week, but he's given the track a go a couple of times in the Carasman Truck Series, and in those two starts, he posted one top five and two top ten finishes. So that could mean bad news for his competition. Well, you mentioned specifically Las Vegas, where he clearly had a shot at that win. I think he's had a shot at a couple of them this year. Um, I think we're seeing this where we're going to have the rookie battle is going to come down to wins and how far they advance in the playoffs. We've already seen Sammy Smith and now Chandler as well um, pick up victories. I think it's going to be a huge year for the rookies here in the Xfinity Series. Yeah, I think so too. And and, uh, like I say, I always have fun watching the rookie standings. Um, But I also... Uh, love watching these races. It's always uh, very interesting and entertaining, to say the least. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, I just want to mention that Austin Hill uh, is continuing to lead the points there. And I'm, I'm, Riley Earps, if he can just get that win, he's in second place by just two, 12 points. Well, and he had a string of top tens going uh, top nine or eight, I believe, through this year. But the top ten streak goes all the way into last year. And unfortunately, Mike's uh, curse, if you will, rubbed off on me. Because I picked him this past week and he didn't finish where he should have. He was running there at the end. Yeah, I had him this week. And his top ten streak unfortunately ended. Yeah, that's a shame. Okay. Um, Again, I know we're a little bit early. But we tend to need whatever extra time we can get when it comes to uh, the Cup Series. So I'm going to go ahead and move on here to the Craftsman Truck Series. They are racing this weekend in the Weather Guard Truck Race on Dirt at Bristol Motor Speedway's Dirt Track. That will be Saturday, April the 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will be on Fox Sports 1 starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and coverage is also available on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race a distance of 75 miles over 150 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 40. Stage 2 will be 50 laps, ending on stage 90. And then the last stage will be 60 laps, ending on lap 150. 
So uh, it's going to be good to see the trucks on track, uh, especially at the Bristol Dirt Track. Uh, but let's take a look at the Sunoco rookie standings there. A little bit different story here in the Craftsman Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. Uh, they got five races in in their 2023 NASCAR Craftsman Truck season, but it's been Rev Racing's Nick Sanchez. He's opened up a sizable lead in the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. He's 42 points ahead of McAnally Hilgerman's Racing's Jake Garcia in second. Yeah, uh, that's going to change, though, with uh, some penalties that came out today. <laughs> Just an the FYI side? there. Huh? On the truck yeah, side? Yeah, there were some penalties on the truck side as well. And Nick Sanchez was one of those drivers that was penalized. So Time of Death, he actually has the points lead now, followed by Zane Smith, Ben Rhodes, Christian Eckes, and Matt Crafton for the top five. So just just a heads up on that one. I will have to check that out. I hadn't seen any on the truck side here, but... Um, well, we'll go with as it was, at least leading into this. We'll, you'll get more of an update then when we do the preview or review and preview following uh, Bristol. Yeah, um, let me see if Sanchez, I can get that. Okay. Okay, uh, go Sanchez ahead. Sanchez has go been ahead. The, leader, the leader of the rookie standings for most of the season. In the two starts, he's put up two poles, one top five, and two top tens, leading a total of 187 laps on the year. And he has had a shot to win some races as well. So when we look at it, his 139 points, he's picked up three of the Sunoco Rookie of the Year awards per race. And then Jake Garcia has had two, putting him at 97 points. Rajah Karuth is at 80 points. Daniel Dye, 77. Brett Holmes at 61. And Taylor Gray got a little bit of a late start, but got 41 points already. And those few teams, again, they've showed flashes of good runs just need to get their footing set. Okay, and just a quick update here. The uh, uh, penalties that came out today, the number two of Nick Sanchez, uh, Chase Purdy's number four, and the 51 of Jack Wood were all penalized for engine oil reservoir tank encasement and engine oil reservoir tank assembled vehicle overall rules. Uh, they were penalized, uh, drivers and teams were penalized 10 owner and driver points. So apparently uh, it has something to do with that oil tank, and uh, all three of those drivers received those penalties uh, that were announced just today. All right. Well, add that to the list of hot topics, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on, though, with our preview, Tanner Carrick is set to make his NASCAR Truck Series debut, and he'll be getting behind the wheel of the number 30 on-point Motorsports Toyota for his debut this weekend at the Bristol Motor Speedway's Dirt. Uh, Carrick has been running on dirt since he was six years old. Uh, he actually started his driving career in an outlaw cart, and he's since moved into wing sprints cars and midgets and has racked up some impressive titles. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing Tanner Carrick on track in the NASCAR Truck Series uh, this weekend. When we look at that, this one does have a little bit different format. So we're going to set the field and race format for the Craftsman Truck Series race at Bristol. We got a total of 43 trucks uh, currently entered for Saturday night's Weather Guard truck race on dirt. 
It'll be 8 p.m. Eastern Time on FS1 MRN and Sirius XM Radio that are going to be fighting for a spot in the field. Now, to set the field, Saturday afternoon will feature qualifying races. It'll start at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The random draw determines the qualifying race designation and starting position for those qualifying races, and that draw will be done in order in the order of current owner points. And each qualifying race will be 15 laps, with only the green flag laps counting, and the overtime rule will not be in effect. The free, fa- free pass and wave round procedures, however, will be used. Now, drivers will accumulate points in those qualifying races based on finishing position, position and passing points. Then uh, positions 1 through 31 in the starting lineup uh, for the feature will be based on the combined points of qualifying race finishing position points and the passing points. For positions 32nd through 36, the provisionals will, will be applied uh, ordered by points in the qualifying races. Now, passing points are defined as the difference between the assigned starting position and the finishing position um, of the trucks. There will only be positive passing points awarded for moving forward. So thus, if the driver finishes in the same or lower position, they will just receive zero points. So to start with, if you finish first, you get 10 points, second, nine, third, eight, four, seven, on down to 10th, you get one point. And then again, they'd add in, and that doesn't say what their normal passing points is, point and a half. I don't know if they're going with the simpler one point per position, but again, you can gain more points by the number of cars you pass. So keep that in mind when they come up with these points totals. Yes, indeed. All right, so uh, NASCAR Truck Series drivers to watch the Bristol Dirt Edition. Uh, since the Craftsman Truck Series has only been run twice on the Bristol Dirt in 21 and 22, there are a few drivers who have been consistently at the front of the pack in both of those races. They include Sport Racing's Ben Rhodes. He, of course, he's no newbie, newbie to dirt racing at Bristol. After a second-place finish in 21 and his first-place finish in 23, the 99 Ford returns, hoping to defend that victory at the uh, .5-mile track. If the Kentucky driver takes the checkered flag again, he will become the first driver to win consecutive truck series races at that dirt track. There's also Front Row Motorsports' Zane Smith, who has been on a hot streak this season, finishing in the top ten in three out of five races for the year, including two victories at Daytona and Coda. The number 38 Ford has also proved that a little bit of dirt can't slow him down as he's posted top ten finishes in both truck Bristol dirt races. But then keep in mind there's also GMS Racing's Grant Infinger. He's also played well on the dirt. He finished sixth in the inaugural race in 21 and eighth just last season. This season, Infinger will put up one top five. This season, Infinger has put up one top five and two top tens in the five starts so far. Well, and I think if I'm not mistaken, all of those drivers have already been picked for a fantasy group, so that tells I you that believe- we got faith in them. <laughs> yes. And when you talk about playing in the dirt here at Bristol, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series has had some fun short track racing last weekend at Richmond, and they're continuing that short track action this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway, but on dirt with the Weather Guards Truck Race 
on dirt Saturday, April 8th. Now, the Truck Series has been heading to Bristol Motor Speedway since 1995, but it wasn't until 2021 that they started running this on dirt. There, have been a, there has been a different winner in both of the Bristol dirt races. We had Martin NASCAR Cup Series regular Martin Truex won that inaugural race in 2021, and then mentioned former Series champion Ben Rhodes winning it last season. Now, in total, the NASCAR Crashing the Truck Series has run 11 races on dirt at three different tracks. They ran at Eldora Speedway from 2013 to 2019, which was seven races. The Bristol Dirt uh, or Bristol Motor Speedway on dirt on 2021 and 22, and then also Knoxville Raceway in 2021 and 22, and has produced 11 different winners. Um, at Eldora. Austin Dillon won it in 2013, Bubba Wallace in 14, Christopher Bell in 15, Kyle Larson in 16, Matt Crafton in 17, Chase Briscoe in 2018, and Stuart Friesen in 2019. At Bristol Dirt, uh, it was Martin Truex and Ben Rhodes, as I had mentioned, and then Knoxville Raceway was Austin Hill in 2021 and Todd Dillon in 2022. Now, we got some uh, specialties, or three Cup Series regulars are going to be do, doing the double duty and joining the fun this weekend or getting some extra track time, however you want to look at it. Chase, Chase Briscoe, he's going to be driving the number 22 and racing Ford. William Byron will be in the number 51 for Cowbush Motorsports Chevrolet. And then Joey Logano is going to be in the number 66, Thor Sport Racing Ford. So... Definitely something to keep your eye on there. And drivers will head to their first practice. That'll be on Friday, April 7th. It'll be at 5.35 p.m. Eastern time, followed by a final practice at 8.02. That's a really odd time, 8.02 p.m., and they'll be televised on FS1. Uh, Qualifying section, I mentioned, will begin on Saturday, April 8th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time, and that'll be on FS2. So check your local... uh, cable companies there to make sure it's whether it's on FS1 or FS2. Exactly. Okay. Let me uh, kind of get back to where I was here. For some reason, my information uh, disappeared on me. Okay. <laughs> so let me kind of get back on on uh, my mark here. Uh, yeah, so that's playing on dirt at Bristol is always a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but last week at Texas Motor Speedway, it was Nice Motorsports' Carson Hosevar earning his spot in the playoffs. So he was in the right place at the right time to take the uh, Truck Series victory in overtime at Texas Motor Speedway after the race leaders, Nick Sanchez and Zane Smith, wrecked coming into the checkered flag. So the victory was Josefar's first in the Craftsman Truck Series. And with the win, the Michigan native has now secured his spot in the playoffs for the third time in his career from 21 to 22. This season, Josefar has put up one win at Texas, one top five and two top tens in his five starts. And he's led 20 laps, and his average finish this season is a 17.0. 
as the truck series now heads to Bristol, Tennessee for the weekend for this weekend for the Weather Guard uh, truck race on dirt at Bristol. <clears throat> the uh, number 42 Chevrolet will look to carry his momentum and secure another victory, a feat that doesn't seem to be too far from his reach. Now, last season at Bristol Dirt, the 20-year-old posted a runner-up finish and led for 55 laps. If Josefar were to win this weekend, he would become the sixth different driver in NASCAR Truck Series history to win their first two races back-to-back. He would join Rich Bickle, uh, who did it in 97 at Portland and Evergreen, uh, Kurt Busch in 2000 at Milwaukee and New Hampshire, Ted Musgrave in 2001 at Homestead, Miami, and Mason Marin, Todd Boldine in 2004 at Fontana in Texas, Casey Kane in 2004 at Darlington and Homestead, Miami, and Kyle Busch in 2005 at Charlotte and Dover, along with Johnny Benson, Jr., who in 2006 uh, did it at Michigan and Milwaukee. So it would be fun to see if Mason, um, I'm sorry, Carson Hosevar can uh, make that stat. All right, uh, Jay, we're going to move on over to the uh, NASCAR Truck Cup Series uh, for the Food City Dirt Race at Bristol Motor Speedway's Dirt Track. That'll be on Sunday, April the 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox will carry the coverage uh, and pre-race coverage starting at 6 p.m., along with uh, uh, radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, they're going to race 125 miles over 250 laps. Stage uh, 1 and 2 are both 75 laps apiece. Stage 1 ending on lap 75, stage 2 on lap 150, and then the last stage will be 100 laps ending on lap 250. So uh, we have a lot to cover here. So, Jay, we're probably going to have to skip a few things here, but let's go ahead and uh, see how far we can get in the time that we've got. Well, to start with, we'll highlight a couple of uh, milestones we've mentioned over the next few uh, races. Two drivers in the NASCAR Cup Series will hit the milestone starts if they continue to run full time. Uh, Kyle Busch from Richard Childress Racing will be making his 650th NASCAR Cup Series start at Bristol, become the 27th different NASCAR Cup Series driver all time to make the 650 starts or more. Only one driver all-time has won on that 650th career start, and that was NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty at Dover Motor Speedway in September, of, September 15, 1974. Then when we get to Talladega on April 20th, it's Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick, <coughs> excuse me, <laughs> making an 800-career NASCAR Cup Series start. Harvick puts, that, puts him on the list of just the 10th different driver to make 800 more starts in the series. And again, only one driver won on their 800th career Cup Series start, and that again was NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty at Dover in September 16, 1979. Well, same weekend. Okay, we've got a four different drivers that are attempting to complete in both the Cup Series and the Truck Series races this weekend at Bristol Motor Speedway's dirt track. They include Jonathan Davenport, William Byron, Chase Briscoe, and Joey Logano. 
So uh, we've got uh, some crossover there between the Trucks and the Cups series this weekend. All right, scrolling up, we got one more. There we go. Sugarland and NASCAR. Uh, they've created a special edition 75th anniversary moonshine. Sugarland's Distilling Company, an award-winning craft distillery in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and NASCAR announced the release of an officially licensed limited edition moonshine to commemorate NASCAR's 75th anniversary. The Sugarlands at NASCAR 75th Anniversary Moonshine will make its debut at Bristol Motor Speedway during the Food City Race weekend, April 8th and 9th. Uh, it'll be available at the Sugarlands 360 bar inside the track that weekend and then also available for purchase retailers nationwide while supplies last. And yet it ties into the history. Moonshine played a pivotal role in the birth of NASCAR founded by uh, Bill France Sr. in Daytona Beach, Florida back in 1948 and since growing into the number one motorsport in America. A moonshine is still on display at the NASCAR Hall of Fame tells the story of how many of NASCAR early stars got their start running moonshine. That's a great history if you want to look into it. Um, tying together both elements of NASCAR's beginning, the Sugarlands NASCAR 75th Anniversary Moonshine boasts a tropical pina colada flavor as a subtle nod to the sport's beachside start. The label features a photo from July 10, 1949, the NASCAR race in Daytona, along with NASCAR's 75th anniversary diamond logo. That's their official logo. Yep, that's kind of cool to make that tie-in. Okay, now Food City also names Rear Admiral Stephen Jackson as Grand Marshal this Sunday for the Food City race. Uh, and uh, Stephen Josh Jackson, Admiral's, Rear Admiral Stephen Josh Jackson, will serve as the Grand Marshal and deliver the starting command for Sunday night's Food City Dirt Race. So he's a native of Syracuse, New York. The Rear Admiral Jackson graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 93 and also holds a Master of Arts in National Security and Strategic Studies from the Naval War College. Rear Admiral Jackson has spent the majority of his 30-year career as an explosive ordnance disposal officer and currently serves as Deputy Director of Operations and Integration uh, Directorate at the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. In addition to his role as the Deputy Director, Rear Admiral Jackson is one of two admirals who lead the Navy EOD community, uh, and he oversees the development and community health of over 1,500 EOD officers and technicians that deploy nation. Well, I'm sorry, worldwide. So uh, really nice to have Rear Admiral Stephen Josh Jackson as Grand Marshal this Sunday. Some other headlines there for the Easter celebration at Bristol Motor Speedway prior to this Food City dirt race. You got Tebow, Wickham, and Ashbury. American sports icon and evangelist Tim Tebow will join the highly acclaimed and award winning Christian musicians Phil Wickham and Corey Ashbury to headline Bristol Motor Speedway's live Easter celebration service on Sunday, April 9th, prior to the start of the historic Food City dirt race. The Easter celebration will begin at 4 p.m. Eastern on the 
BMS Fan Midway Stage near the east parking lot between the green and orange bridges. Now, Tebow, who grew up the son of missionaries, founded the Tim Tebow Foundation in 2010 to bring faith, hope, and love to those needing a brighter day in their darkest hour of need. He's going to provide the faith message during the service, while Ashbury and Wickham will perform several of their most popular songs. Additionally, several other speakers from the NASCAR industry will make appearances, including the motor racing outreach chaplain, Billy Maldwin. Now, Tim Tebow has been sharing the faith message from a young age when he decided to dedicate his life to spreading God's word and serving the needy. His platform was amplified when he burst onto the national sports scene in the early 2000s as quarterback for the Florida Gators. Under his leadership and stellar play, the Gators won the BCS championship back in 2006 and 2008. Tebow is a recipient of the prestigious Heisman Trophy Award, many, um, among many other awards and accolades he received during his prolific college football career. He played three seasons in the NFL and also played five years in minor league baseball for the New York, New York Mets farm system. He currently serves in, as an analyst for ESPN's coverage of college football. Uh, Phil Whitman is a San Diego native. He's described as a leader in the modern worship movement and claimed many awards for his contemporary Christian music, including being nominated for two Grammy Awards as well as multi-billboard music awards. His gold-certified single, This is, is Amazing Grace, was his first career number one single. And Corey Ashbury, a Florida native, grew up in Franklin, North Carolina, started his music career at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. In 2019, a double platinum-selling artist was nominated for a Grammy for his album Reckless Love in the Best Contemporary Christian Music Performance category. A title track spent 18 weeks at the number one on Christian radio. was named Song of the Year in Contemporary Christian category by multiple music ratings uh, houses. And he claimed the GMA Dove Awards for several of his hits, including that Reckless Love and The Father's House. Okay, lots to look forward to there. But we need to take a look at uh, the playoff bubble now that we're seven races into the 2023-7. There are seven playoff spots that are spoken for as the series heads to Bristol Dirt this weekend. And uh, it's going to be a showdown. A total of six different winners have won this season, securing their spots in the playoffs. But don't forget the series point leader is also guaranteed a uh, place in the playoffs, even without a win. And that leaves just nine postseason spots still up for grabs with 19 races left in the regular season. The six Cup Series drivers with wins this year include William Byron, who won at Las Vegas and Phoenix, Ricky Stenhouse at Daytona, Kyle Busch at Fontana, Joy Logano in Atlanta, Tyler Reddick at Austin, and Kyle Larson at Richmond. A winless Alex Bowman right now, although that could change too, <laughs> holds the series driver standings. Uh, taking the lead in the seventh spot in the postseason. There's a pending penalty there uh, that could uh, change that. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But at the other end of the playoff outlook is RFK Racing's Chris Busher in the 16th and final transfer spot into the playoffs. He's up six points on Trackhouse Racing's Daniel Suarez in the 17th spot. 
then that's the first spot outside the cutoff line. Both drivers are looking for their first win this year, and in two starts on Bristol Dirt, Bush was put up a best finish of 14th and 21, and an average finish of 14.5. Bush also won on the paved oval at Bristol last fall, and look for Suarez to possibly make up some ground in the points on Busher this weekend. In two starts on Bristol Dirt, Suarez has led the second most laps at the track in the series at 122 laps led, and he's also posted a best finish of fourth in 2021. His average finish at the track is an 8.0 on Bristol Dirt's half mile, and he's finished 12th their last season on the dirt race. So uh, some competition there at the bubble. Well, and Superman is coming to the dirt. Jonathan Davenport tapped by colleague racing for this uh, Bristol dirt race. You look at all his accomplishments on dirt, it's no surprising his nickname is Superman, one of the most successful drivers on dirt today. He's going to have a shot at the Cup Series, as he drives the number 13 Chevrolet for colleague racing with crew chief Eddie Pardue. And Davenport hails from Blairsville, Georgia. He's been racing in some form or fashion since 1991. Biggest accomplishments on dirt, uh, that winning the 2015, 18, and 19 Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model Series National Championships, as well as the 2022 Eldora Million at Eldora Speedway. This is his first attempt to compete in the NASCAR Cup Series and his first NASCAR National Series start. He did attempt to qualify for one Craftsman Truck Series race at Martinsville in 2013, but did not make the show. And he'll be teamed with uh, Justin Haley at College Racing, who made his series track debut last season, started sixth and finished 14th on the Bristol Dirt. Okay, I'm going to kind of skip over this next one but give you the headline, and that is that Kyle Larson is a six-different winner this season, adding his play name to the playoffs and the All-Star race. So he won at Richmond last week, and that put him in a great place there. And I'm going to skip up here to the Bristol Motor Speedway dirt qualifying and race format. I think uh, that's going to be important for fans this weekend uh, with the special formats for both the Cup Series and the Truck Series. Uh, so here are the details. Qualifying race starting lineup will be a random draw determining, determining the qualifying qualifying race designation and starting spot for the qualifying race. The draw will be in the order of current owner points and is scheduled for Friday, April 7th at 5.30 p.m. Four qualifying races will be held at 15 laps each with only green flag laps counted, no overtime rule. So free pass and waiver round procedures will be in effect. Points earned during qualifying races. Drivers will accumulate points on qualifying races based on finishing position and passing points. The points total of a driver's passing points and race finishing position points determines his starting position for the feature event. Passing points is the difference between the assigned starting position and the finishing positions. So if you go forward, you're going to accumulate passing points. If you go backward or finish where you started, you get zero passing points. 
So the race finishing position points received for the driver's finishing position, uh, 10 points if you finish first, and it goes down one point uh, for positions one through nine. So position two gets nine, position three gets eight points, four gets seven, position five gets six, sixth place gets five, seventh place four, eighth place three, and ninth place Two. The tiebreaker, of course, is the owner points. For the feature main, lineup will be based on combined points of the qualifying race finishing position and passing points. So the feature race will be 250 laps. For the truck race, we've already indicated that's 150 laps. Uh, that's divided into three stages for the cup race it's 75 150 and 250 for the different stages the running order will be frozen at the conclusion of each stage during stage breaks teams can change tires add fuels and make adjustments to their cars their cars these non-competitive pit stops must be completed in a time designated by nascar no fuel or tires except at the stage breaks and flat or damaged tires may be changed with the approval of nascar Teams will not be required to pit during the stage breaks, but teams that elect not to pit will restart ahead of teams that do pit. Restart order will be determined by the freeze at the conclusion of the preceding stage. Additional event highlights, including the choose rule, will be in effect for the dirt race, and the overtime rules, free pass, and waiver round procedures will also be in effect. So I went over that real quick because we're running out of time, Jay. Uh, it's almost time for us to head into Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, so uh, real quick, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of the uh, uh, article at the top or the very yeah, top um, you, segment? You can check out there. They do have some stats of uh, all NASCAR racing on dirt. But we're going to just take a quick look at the three years, uh, this being the third year, the NASCAR Cup Series competed on dirt at Bristol. The inaugural race at Bristol uh, was the first time the Cup Series had competed on dirt in 50 years. Again, go back and check out the history of it. Um, now, with that, they bring in 23,000 cubic yards of dirt to create the temporary tra dirt track surface at Bristol. Uh, it's a sight to be seen when the full field takes the green flag. The inaugural Bristol Dirt event in 2021 saw five leaders among five different drivers, but it was Team Penske's Joey Logano who took the checkered flag over Ricky Stenhouse Jr. by a scant .554 second margin. Then last season, uh, the race was even more intense at the finish. Kyle Busch won the Food City Dirt Race from a distant third place after the Ford, a second place Chase Briscoe slid up on the high bank dirt track there of Chevrolet leader Tyler Reddick in the final corner and it turned them both sideways. The Bush led the only the final lap in route to his first dirt win. And that's what you call a slide job on dirt. Just wasn't quite clear and I got a little away from him, but it was an entertaining race to say the least. Okay, Cup Series action at Bristol will kick off Friday, April 7th with that random draw and qualifying race assignments at 5.30, then the first practice at 6.35 p.m. to 7.25 ET, and followed by final practice at 8.35 p.m. to 8.57 
p.m. Both practices are going to be televised on Fox Sports 1. Then on Saturday, April 8th, the qualifying races will be held from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports 1. So I, we got it all in there, Jay. <laughs> well, we get a little tight, but we always manage. Yes, we do. All right, it is 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. That means it's time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment. Um, and I'm hoping that the guys saw the announcement that it would be early tonight um, because none of them are here right now. So, Jay, if you can do me a favor and uh, go over to our team's page and just kind of remind everybody, it's just Tommy and Mike that are going to be here. We're expecting Mike Orzel and Tommy Kraft. All right. I would appreciate it, uh, Jay. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about on Hot Topics today. Our team sport has been extremely active today uh, with all kinds of hots for us to discuss. I can't wait to see uh, what the guys uh, decide to talk about here tonight. I usually let uh, our fan for racing crew uh, decide what they want to talk about in hot topics uh, during this segment. So uh, we will definitely look forward uh, to hearing from them. We do have one person here. Uh, welcome to Hot Topics. Is this Mike? Or is this Tommy? Thomas. Tommy. How are okay, y'all? Okay, Tommy. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are y'all? Thank y'all for having me. We're doing really well today. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Three-day weekend because of Easter. I know. That's awesome, isn't it? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And uh, we're waiting for week. Mike to kind of join us. I'm sorry. What were you saying, Tommy? And we got Bristol Dirt this weekend. Yes. Two races, two big races this weekend out at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway, and it will be on dirt. I was just uh, talking about the fact that we've got so many um, uh, topics on our hot topics uh, board that uh, at our team's board. Uh, there's a lot of hot topics there. Uh, if you want, while we're waiting for. Uh, Mike, to join us, do you want to pick out a hot topic for us to get started with, Tommy? Sure. Let's go with, um, well, let's take a look here. Yeah, we do have a lot. Um, let's go with, let's go with the all-star race format that Junior got to announce today. Okay, yeah, we were just talking about that. That's a good one for us to start with. Um, they did announce the uh, uh, all-star format that was announced. Uh, it's over at J-Skis, uh if you want to follow along there. But uh, I, it's pretty – I think – isn't it close to what we've had before, Tommy? I don't think there's much of a change here, is there? I believe that is pretty much the same, kind of like Texas. They're doing that pit crew challenge, and um, the top two finishers from the select get in along with the fan vote, and uh, it kind of did look the same. Uh, um, but pretty cool that Junior got to announce it, and that Junior's like 
been kind of like running the show with North Wilkesboro and the um, and deciding all this. Uh, I thought that part was pretty cool. Yes, yes, Junior is running the show, <laughs> uh, and it is going to be fun to watch him. His race is actually going to be at the Cars Tour, and he's going to be uh, racing on Wednesday night in that Cars Tour event. So uh, that is definitely going to be fun to watch. I'm trying to kind of keep an eye on a couple of things here. Uh, we still don't have Mike, and Jay is trying to uh, round up Mike. So, um, Jay, I don't know if you heard the hot topic here. Are, are you yep. still working on finding Mike? Well, I messaged him on a couple different avenues. Uh, we'll see if he comes in here. But uh, if you want me to do a quick recap here, um, on that all-star race format, it's kind of a simplified one, as I mentioned earlier. It's going to have two heat races to set the starting lineup, which is a 100-lap all-star open and then a 200-lap main event. Um, the 200-lap main event will have a round lap 100. All laps, uh, caution and green flag will count. And then NASCAR overtime rules are in effect. Uh, each team will set with a set of sticker tires for the all-star race and then have three additional sets to use. Uh, let's see, what else have we got? The four open, uh, all-star open format, that's pretty much the same. All drivers that were not already eligible, they'll have a 100 laps um, per, uh, all-star open with a competition break around lap 40. Three open drivers will advance to the all-star open, or to the all-star race, the top two finishers, and then the fan vote, as Tommy mentioned. Uh, the other thing he mentioned there was the pit crew challenge, and I don't remember the last time the pit crew challenge was involved. Find where it talks about that. Um, there we go. Um, Friday evening, it'll pit crew challenge will determine the starting lineups for the heat races and the open. So each car's qualifying time will be based solely on their pit stop time. Uh, it's been a while since they've incorporated that. That was one of the big things I'd like to see back. I know they used to have it um, when it was at Charlotte the week prior and everything, and it included the pit crews. And I really like that addition back to the All-Star Weekend. The format itself, again, it's a short track, so you really don't need to have a whole lot of different, I don't know what word to use, uh, stages and the points and everything else, because it is a short track, 100, 200 laps in this case, but uh, a shootout, I mean, 200 laps on a short track is going to go by like that. So you don't need a whole lot of the other um, formats where they've done inversions and all that. It, it was needed on some of the tracks they were at. I don't think it is at North Wilkesboro. And truthfully, this year's, with the 75th anniversary of NASCAR, having it at North Wilkesboro is the primary attraction of this all-star event. It really is. Just the history of being at that track. Absolutely. We do have Mike with us. So, first of all, Mike, welcome to the show. Well, apparently somebody, meaning me, didn't really pay attention to the messages, and I was just on the usual 10 o'clock Eastern uh, time. So, here I am, hey and what what have you. (laughs) Well, our first hot topic is, of course, the uh, format for the uh, all-star race out at North Wilkesboro. So, your thoughts about it? I kind of like uh, what they're doing with this. Uh, 
I kind of jumped in in the middle of Jay's thing, uh, and I agree with him on a, a several different points. One, I really like seeing the pit crew challenge back. Uh, I don't know. I didn't, if they did say I, I didn't see it, whether they're going to have a pit road speed limit or not, either way, it doesn't make a huge difference. But it was really fun watching at Charlotte with the teams practicing, coming down pit road with no speed limit, trying to make a, uh, trying to time their braking to make their stop in the box. And some of the guys would nail it, and it would be great. And some would blow it, and that'd be great too. I don't know if that's going to be in play at North Wilkesboro, but like Jay said. The big one here is the attraction of North Wilkesboro itself. And I like that they're letting the race be the show. I don't like all the gimmicks and, oh, we're going to invert the field and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It, this is a race. And that's really what it's going to boil down to is it's going to be a race at North Wilkesboro. They don't need to throw in a whole bunch of different format changes and gimmicks and and whatever other special stuff they need to do, because North Wilkes were a special on its own, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this thing. Yeah, I like the consistency of, you know, keeping it similar to what it was last year. It worked, so why mess around with it? I'm glad to see it the way it is. Uh, they do heat races uh, at dirt races, so uh, I like the fact that they're they're doing that. And I agree with both of you that uh, I love the fact that they're bringing back the pit crew challenge. Uh, I went to Charlotte uh, for an all-star race and uh, went to the pit crew challenge, and it was a lot of fun to watch. So I am so glad to see them coming back with that. I remember I had a friend with me, and she was a Bobby Labonte fan, uh, fan, and when he came out, uh, he actually waved at us. Uh, he must have noticed that we were all watching him, and he he waved back at us. So that was kind of a big thrill for us. Uh, But that pit crew challenge, uh, all that aside, is really a lot of fun to watch, and I'm glad to see it coming back. So not a whole whole lot to add to it, uh, what you guys have already said, Uh, but I I love what NASCAR is doing with this at North Wilkesboro, or out not North Wilkesboro. Yeah, this is at North Wilkesboro. Um, and I, and I can't wait to see them, uh, do that. I think I mentioned, I, I saw Bristol Dirt and I think I mentioned Bristol Dirt earlier. I mean at North Wilkesboro. Um, and, um, I'm just excited to have them back, uh, at North Wilkesboro and to be doing this, uh, all-star race at that track. Tommy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm excited to see it too. And I, I, do think that they did do the pit road challenge at like Texas like two years ago or whatever it was. I feel like I remember that. But um, yeah, I'm just glad that it's not Texas and that it's at North Wilkesboro and that they're going to be bringing this track back. And like Mike said, it's, it appears that it's going to be focused back on racing and not inverting the field and having like the Texas race like a year or two ago was like what? seven different stages of, like, 10 or 20 laps or whatever. It was just too much. <laughs> they just, you know, like, yeah, let's get rid of that, simplify it, just make it about racing. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch that. I know he's going to be back in the Sundrop car, I believe, which is really cool. So this will be like a – it'll just be a great weekend. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of cup guys in, in the trucks. So, um it's going to be definitely uh, some nostalgia. And I've never seen a race at North Wilkesboro. I just know that the last race that was there, Jeff Gordon won it in, like, 96. So I was I was one year old. But I have <laughs> driven by the Speedway, and um, 
seen it from the road, which is really cool. You can see the grandstands. And I'm actually going to be going to Blowing Rock tomorrow, so I'm hoping that I can get to drive by it again. And this time, I'll maybe I'll see some activities, some prep work for the uh, for the race coming up. So um, I can't wait to watch it. Uh, I wish I would have gotten tickets, but they sold out as soon as they basically uh, got put on the internet. So I didn't didn't get fortunate enough to buy tickets, but uh, I'm definitely going to be tuning in. I'm not going to miss this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jay, your follow-up. Yeah, uh, we mentioned that, that, that for me the big thing is the, the pit crew all-star challenge. Um, it, it was a team thing. And I know when we had it at Charlotte, that was a home for majority of the teams. North Wilkes were a little bit closer. They can, they can do that again. And like I said, it highlights the whole team. Uh, when yeah. I did mine earlier, I was trying to avoid that use of the word gimmick, but I really couldn't come up with any other one. At some of the other tracks, and I, I used Charlotte earlier, we had two races a year at Charlotte, so just another race really didn't highlight it. When they went to the having it at night and under the lights, that was the first time it was under the lights. That was the highlight. But once everybody started running under the lights, they needed to do something different. The all-star race, you know, is a separate non-points race just to show for the fans. So I understand some of the things. I may not have agreed with all of the things they did with the varying format changes throughout the years. But at other tracks, it was kind of a necessity. I know the year at Bristol, they did it where they had the glow lights on the car. Okay, that was, again, it made it special because it was different. didn't get done every time. Um, this year, I think with it being at North Wilkesboro, I, I do think they went the right direction in not having all of that because it is just the fact that they are at that historic track. It's just a regular Saturday night short track shootout. Um, so I like that they did incorporate that, and it goes with the format of grassroots racing. I mean, that's how they run on a weekly Saturday night at your local racetrack. So I, I really think they paired it up well. Uh, like I said, I, I, I don't like the word gimmick, but it's kind of the truth. I do think it was needed at some of these other tracks to make it different than just another one of their regular season races. So I understood it. Like I said, I didn't always like all the things they did with it, the inversion thing I've seen, and, yeah, it can be interesting or entertaining, which that's what they were going for. It's, like I said, it's a separate non-points event. It's just an entertainment deal for the fans. But I think that racing at North Wilkesboro is the entertainment, and that's what they put the focus on. All right, Mike, your follow-up. Well, they had to do the gimmicks at Texas because Texas is a broken racetrack that puts on terrible racing. So as soon as they moved the all-star race to Texas, they knew before the cars even hit the track that they had to do something to try and make that race special or watchable, and it still wasn't watchable, especially last year was one of the worst all-star races that have ever been run, probably in the history of the all-star race. So North Wilkesboro as a welcome change to the all-star race, not just because we're going back to North Wilkesboro, but because we're not at Texas Motor Speedway anymore. And I will say, Andy, uh, keep an eye on North Wilkesboro's website. When I went to buy my parking passes a couple weeks ago, they had some tickets listed for sale. I'm not sure if they opened up more seating or if these are just cancellations that they've had, but keep an eye on North Wilkesboro's website. You never know. You might get lucky with somebody selling some tickets there. Okay, um, 
I don't have a whole lot to add. I'm just excited to see the race at North Wilkesboro. Uh, I love that NASCAR went back to that track, and uh, I think they've, they've got it right with the uh, format, and they've got it right with the pit crew challenge. And, and you're right, it's so much it's, – it's not as close as Charlotte – but it's still close enough that a lot of the families can. I know that's that's a treat for a lot of these drivers to have their families uh, be able to take part in that All Star uh, weekend. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And uh, the fact that Dale Jr. is going to race that Cars Tour event on Wednesday night, I think makes it uh, a really exciting uh, 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 start to that weekend of racing. So the trucks will be racing there as well. So I'm looking forward to the whole weekend for sure. Tommy, you get the final word on this one. Yeah, I'll have to look into seeing if there's some extra tickets. I haven't done that yet. I just I thought it was I thought it was sold out, but um, I think that it's probably going to be a lot like the. Well, I don't know what it'll be like, but I'm hoping that it'll kind of be like the Bristol All Star Race that was like two or three years ago with the lights up under the cars. I thought that that was a good all-star race. It was definitely better than Texas. I kind of agree with Mike last year. It was just, it was, it was pretty bad. Glad that they're not doing it there again. And uh, I'm just excited to see some short track racing at a short track revival track. And I think it's going to be awesome. Um, Tommy, you might want to look into that Cars Tour race, late model race too, with Dale Jr. going to, race on Wednesday. Okay. Okay, good. Uh, Mike, let's get us back on track. Uh, What is your hot topic for us to discuss next? Well, this is going to be a big one. We might want to split it up, but there was a lot of news about penalties today. Uh, Denny Hamlin's penalty got upheld. They had their appeal, and the penalty... Uh, was upheld entirely, so 25 points and $50,000 fine for Denny Hamlin and the number 11 team was upheld. The bigger news, the number 24 and number 48 from Hendrick Motorsports went to the R&D Center after the race on Sunday, and the, uh, the results from that were announced. They had some sort of modification to the greenhouse. Looks like it was something right around the windshield area. The 24 and 48 teams were fined, I believe it was 60 points and $75,000 each. And in addition to that, and this is where we might want to split it, would be NASCAR has changed the appeals format where the appeal board can only modify the penalties within the scope of what the rule book says the penalty could be. So what that basically means is if the rule book says, if you do this, we can give you from a 25-point to a 100-point fine, the appeals board can't say, no, you're going to get a zero-point fine. The minimum is going to be 25 up to the 100. So they can't just completely wipe something like that out. And also NASCAR has said that they're going to start displaying the confiscated parts that they take away from teams that have been penalized for making modifications or otherwise having illegal parts. So a lot going on in the penalty world. Yes, indeed. Jay, you're first up on this one. Well, I guess I want to get, I don't want no miscommunication. Uh, Mike actually missed one there. Part of what the changing of the appeal process was because college racing's penalty 
got reduced but not wiped out like Hendrick Motorsports did last week. So that's kind of what starts it. Um, so I don't know, Sharon, I was going to leave this up to you. You get paid the big bucks. Uh, how do we want to break this down? <laughs> yeah, this is a tough one because it, it is all kind of tied in together. Uh, uh, but let's go ahead and cover uh, the appeals first, and then we'll go to the penalties that were announced today as well as uh, NASCAR's changes to their rules and all of that. So I'd say let's let's cover the appeals first that took place today. All right. Uh, Denny Hamlin's, uh, I think a penalty fit the crime. I realize that a lot of people don't understand how it was done after the race. It was over. They weren't even looking at it, but then he self-admitted. I think they had to act. I think they acted prudently. Um, and if you watched uh, NASCAR Race Hub, and I don't know if it was anywhere else today, Steve O'Donnell talked about it. The points is where they feel that the impact is being made. So they issued a points penalty with that as well as a fine. And that one was upheld, and I think it should have been. Could have possibly even been more. And we talked about this. Daniel Suarez maybe should have had some points with his for the uh, pit road incident, but there wasn't, so we'll leave that one. Um, So, yeah, I fully support that one. I'm glad it was upheld. The college racing one here, and... I think this is going to lead into the other part of the modification. It appeared, anyway, they had the same penalty as Kendrick. However, the appeals panel was three different members, and they did not do the same action. Instead of wiping out all points and just leaving the fines and suspensions, they just reduced the points from 100 down to 75, but then upheld everything else. That one I don't understand. But we also don't know if the infraction was the exact same. Their modification might have been different. Mike and I talked about this. Maybe there was communication between HMS and uh, NASCAR before they did what they did, and there wasn't with college racing. So that will lead into what they're doing with the modification to the appeal process. But I believe that college racing is taking it one step uh, further, and if somebody can confirm this, I know they can take it to a final appeal pellet, which I can't remember the name I put out. Um, It's one officer then that would hear a final appeal. And I think they should. The fact that HMS got all of their points back, I don't see why college racing would not, unless it was a different type of modification. But um, they got, in my opinion, they got a strong argument. The, The case that went before them the week before, all points were taken away. They only got 25 taken away. I don't think that's right. Uh, and NASCAR is addressing that and trying to change how they go about things. But in this case, it was still under that old format. I, I don't like it. I, I really don't. I think college racing, Chris Wright did a great job. He actually came on race hub like mm-hmm. immediately after the appeals and handled himself well. He expressed that he was not happy and that if it were his decision, he would have already appealed it and been right back in there arguing his case. Um, but he handled himself very well um, that they would take the next step as necessary and the team decided. And like I said, I don't know if that's been confirmed, but I thought Bob Parker said that they would do the next appeal, as I fully think they should. Uh, you know, and, and until we know that the penalty was or the modification or something was different, it was a different penalty, then the result needs to be the same across the board. 
Okay. Uh, Tommy. I agree with the Denny Hamlin um, penalty. I mean, it was about like Bubba last year. It was blatant, blatantly obvious that he wrecked Kyle Larson. It was blatantly obvious that Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain were beefing. And, uh, you know, Denny and Joey are just my least favorite drivers. And Denny last year and this year, he's just getting worse and worse. I mean, I love the fact that he goes on Twitter and his podcast and he's preaching about respect and stuff, but then every single race this year he's been spinning people out left and right. And then this week at Richmond, I mean, just racing for 30th with J.J. Ailey. Go ahead and wreck him too, while I don't you, and then go on and say, oh, it's obvious that, well, you know, that was a mistake or whatever. It's just it's just ridiculous. Uh, you know, I'm glad they upheld the penalty, and he's just making himself look dumb, talking about – racing respectfully and then wrecking somebody every week. So, I mean, I just, I don't understand. And for the Hendrick versus calling thing, I think we talked about this last week that, you know, like you guys are saying, I guess Hendrick did have some sort of information that they had been communicating with NASCAR and calling did it. But from the outside looking in, I'm going to call it like I see it and how everybody else sees it. Looks like Hendrick is, getting special treatment and the other teams are. I mean, that's really what it looks like. Um, I understand that that Hendrick had different communications with NASCAR and Colin didn't, and that's why it is the way this is. But, um, I mean, like I said, it kind of looks like Hendrick's the, the favorite here. But, you know, it's probably not that, but that's what people are going to say, and that's how it looks. So, that is what it is, but I definitely agree with the Denny Hamlin um, decision. Um, he definitely need, needed to have that penalty with uh, um, upheld, and um, maybe we'll just see some more consistency out of NASCAR with the like the Hendrick and the calling and the RFK and um, all those situations where they dock 100 points, find them, then reduce them, and then don't reduce them for certain teams. We just they just need to get more consistent with it. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem is it, it, there's, there does not appear to be consistency there. Um, I'm going to go back to the Hendrick uh, penalty and appeal first uh, because I feel like they did not get it right. I feel like, like Tommy said, it almost looks like Hendrick Motorsports is being allowed to pay off uh, to pay for their points uh, to be given back. And they'll they'll pay. They, they admitted that they violated the rule, and then uh, took the, all the and gave them back to them, uh, and then you know allowed them to just pay the fine instead and and have the suspension with the crew chiefs, which they started from the very beginning because they knew that they had done something that was not uh, approved. Um, so I I agree with Tommy. I, I I think it's a bad look. I think that the appeal for colleague came closer to getting it right, um, but it's it's not consistent with what the other appeals group did. There might be differences in the situation. I get that, but it was for the same part. It was for the louver that was modified uh, at the track. 
or was modified and brought to the track had NASCAR not caught those louvers. They would have raced them. Uh, so I think that they should be penalized. And and, and um, uh, I think that the appeals panel that uh, handled the penalty for Colic actually came closer to getting it right than the appeals panel did for the Hendrick uh, appeal. Uh, I do agree with Denny Hamlin upholding the penalty for Denny Hamlin. He uh, admitted that he uh, wrecked Ross Chastain on purpose, and he should be penalized for it. The penalty itself, I thought, was just a slap on the hand. Uh, But uh, there's the situation now. I guess NASCAR isn't going to penalize him again. But um, I do think that that penalty should have been upheld, and it was. Uh, I know that we'll get around and uh, uh, talk some more about this, so I guess I'll say some more of my comments for, for for the second round here. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? I think we're all kind of in agreement with Denny Hamlin here. He's really become almost a liability, a black eye for Joe Gibbs Racing. Every time he makes the news for them anymore, it seems to be negative. He really isn't bringing a lot of positive attention to the company. And I understand that there's a perception that any publicity is good publicity, but in this case, I really don't think so. It's not like people don't know who Denny Hamlin is. It's not like he's trying to get his name out there. All he's doing is spoiling whatever reputation he had. I've got to think between what he's doing this year and the FedEx sponsorship starting to dry up, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Denny Hamlin, and I'm making the air quotes here, move to a full-time leadership position at 2311 and step out of the race car here pretty soon. Uh, not not in the middle of the season, but I wouldn't be surprised if 2023 or maybe 2024 well, was Denny Hamlin's last season based on some of the things that we've been seeing out of him. Purely speculation on my part, but that's just kind of what I'm thinking here. With regard to the HMS versus colleague racing penalty, this is why it's so important that they're making the changes to the appeals process that they are. Not so much in the modification of how the appeals can award uh, points and, and monetary penalties, but in the transparency of it. Part of it is now going to allow the appeals board to give justification publicly. Mike. Give... Mike, 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 we're not into oh, okay. that yet. All right, we'll move. On. We'll, we'll cover that in the next one then. Well, the yeah, it, it's a, I, okay. I'll outline three separate uh, steps here that we were taking, and that's we're not in okay. that step at this point. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it, 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 the, the perception there is that uh, Hendrick Motorsports was getting an unfair, um, whether you want to call it an advantage or favoritism or whatnot, but then again, there's the other side of, well, they just got hit with another pretty massive penalty this week, so uh, maybe favored, maybe not, tough to say. But the problem here, is the bigger problem is NASCAR has lost control of the perception of situations like this. It feels like they're very reactive to what's going on, and they're not in control of what's going on. This is their sport. This is their league. And it feels like, at least to a certain extent, they're no longer in control of it. Um, and they ha- the, the steps that they need to take in order to get uh, back Mike, under control Mike, we'll Mike, talk Mike, about Mike, in the next Mike. segment. Mike, we're, yeah, we're just talking about – the the appeals the penalties that had appeals this week in the appeal um, uh, result at this point. All right, I'll save uh, the rest of what I got for the next segment then. Okay, Jay, 
Imperial Pain. All right, all right. I've had to wait through the whole hour of preview. Like I said, we had a lot of hot topics to cover tonight, um, so I understand that. But with that, I want to reiterate here that the appeals panel is separate from NASCAR, and Steve O'Donnell said this. They were disappointed in the way these things went because, obviously, NASCAR felt they were both the same penalty. They issued the same penalty to Hendrick Motorsports and Colleague Racing. Once they do that, it's out of their hands because it goes to the appeal board. They make their case. The team owners make their case. It is no longer in NASCAR's hands at that point. And that's where that comes in, that people got to realize that. It wasn't that NASCAR went back on what they did. NASCAR stood by what they wanted. They wanted a 100-point penalty um, enforced to both of them. That was what they put out. They didn't penalize differently between the two. So that's where I, I just I don't understand. But we'll get to that with the changing of the, the modifications. So Steve O'Donnell was quite visibly frustrated with it. And as we've said, it kind of gives them a black eye as far as the inconsistency. But it, that's not on NASCAR's part. They were consistent. Right. They issued a penalty to everybody. <laughs> yeah. So it's a matter, too, of NASCAR, I think, needs to look at how they word their, their penalty of So did they get it right? Did. did the appeals panel get it right, Jay? With, with college racing, about- I do think they did. Right. With college racing, um, why they took away the 25, we don't know. Later on down the road, we may, and from future events. But I think they did because there was modification. NASCAR said this is that they made a modification change. They weren't supposed to. We want to penalize them. That penalty not fully upheld, a little bit reduced, but it also kept the point, which is where the penalty hurts. We've all talked about this. Steve O'Donnell said the same thing. They're not getting the attention with just the um, fines. So they want the points as part of the penalty. And at least it was somewhat upheld uh, when it pertains to that on the colic. But under that format, if colic goes to the final appeal, it, I think they may get theirs given back in this case because HMS did as well. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts about the appeals. Uh, before I get to the appeals, I was going to add on to what Mike was saying about Denny Hamlet right quick since he, he, was, he brought it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I kind of agree with what he's saying, too, about the sponsorship. And um, I don't know about a management role just yet because I think Denny is, to me, the current Mark Martin. He's always winning but never winning a championship, always finishing second or in the top four. I think he races maybe if he maybe this is his last year at Joe Gibbs, and then he goes into 2311 and does a third car. But I mean, he's definitely in the Kevin Harvick area, in my opinion, of going to be retiring soon. But I don't think just yet. But FedEx not having a lot of sponsorship this year and up in the air for next year. I don't see why they wouldn't move all from him and move somebody else up into a cup car, but I guess we'll see on that one. But the appeals process, all I'm all I'm looking for is, is more consistency. Um, you know, I am a Hendrick Motorsports fan. I've already picked William Byron for both races this weekend in the truck and in the um, cup series. And next weekend, if I can pick him, that's what I'm going to pick. I always have liked that 24 car. Hendrick Motorsports is my team. 
minus um, I don't really care for Kyle Larson. I didn't really care for Jimmy Johnson. So those are some pretty hot takes, I guess that I got. But it they do it needs to be consistent because it really does look like they are playing favorites. It was the exact same penalty as calling, and Collins was upheld, and for the second year in a row, Hendricks was reduced. Now they did. I think it's funny how after the Richmond race they put Kyle Larson and Jimmy and uh, not Jimmy Johnson, Alex Bowman's car, and inspected it, and they're in trouble again. Which I think that's probably just so it makes them look like they're not playing favorites, in my opinion. But I mean, we'll talk you know, about that in the next round here. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, but yeah, I you know. Just, just get more consistency because it looks like they're playing favorites. And I think we even said it last week, watched him uphold the calling one and Hendrick gets away with another one. And that's exactly what happened. But um, I don't know. I'm also a Patriots fan. And so I'm, I'm used to all the cheating scandals. And, of course, Hendrick's my team. And they're the team that gets hated the most because they win the most. So that's just the way it is. People are going to say what they're going to say. But I do think NASCAR needs to get more consistent. Okay. Um, I I uh, feel that uh, Jay hit on a really important point. Uh, the appeals panel that heard the Hendrick Motorsports appeal was a different – somebody's doing something that's causing a lot of background noise here. I don't know what it is. Um, but – what happened with the appeal for uh, Hendrick, it was a different three-panel people uh, that was on that appeal than was the three people that were on the appeal for Colleg. So that may also have something to do with it. Again, uh, just to reiterate what Jay was saying, it's not NASCAR <laughs> that is not being consistent. They were very consistent. It is the appeals panel. The appeals panel is not being consistent with their ruling. And it's evident that they're not being consistent because they had three people on one panel say one thing and an entirely different three people on another panel that said something different, even though in both cases um, uh, it seems that they tampered with a piece or a piece was brought to the track that was modified and should have never been brought to the track. Um, so I, I, I think that um, Alec is doing the right thing by appealing uh, and taking it one step further. Excuse me while I change phones here. They're going to appeal. Do you guys have me? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we, we still got you. Oh, yep, okay. We still got you. Okay, so um, they're going to appeal and take it to the final level, which is a one-member panel uh, that will hear the case and then make a decision. Uh, that person is put in a really bad situation, as as were the three people that heard the colleague uh, uh, appeal. And I think they're put in a bad position because of what the first three panel, uh, three-person panel did. Uh, again, 
It's not NASCAR making those decisions. It's these three people panels that are making these decisions and being inconsistent. So I think it's revealing that maybe there's a flaw in the appeal process um, that they need to look at and maybe come up with a different plan of how the appeal process goes. I know that NASCAR is trying to do the right thing in in giving Trinity to appeal, and, and I think they want to continue to do that. Uh, but they want to make sure that they're they're not losing control of the situation, and and that's why some of the topics we're going to discuss later will get into that. But uh, I think that this situation is kind of uh, presented what the real problem is here as far as the consistency, uh, and it's not NASCAR. NASCAR has been consistent. It is the appeals process that is not being consistent. And I think that's an important distinction to make here uh, because a lot of people are saying NASCAR is not being consistent, and that is not true. So I want to make sure that we have that understanding. Mike, your follow-up. Sharon, I got a quick question here. Wait, uh, sure. Sharon, I got a question, uh, if you can answer it. Can NASCAR appeal to the final appeal it? Can they take Hendrick Motorsports' decision that was overturned and wiped away, can they take it to the final appeal? See, I think that's a really excellent question. I've heard other people ask that question, and I, I, I don't think that that currently exists, but I don't really heard, know. I've never so heard I'd of that. Do, yeah, I just thought about I'd that. I'd have to do some research on that, but I do think that there needs to be a revamping of the appeal process. Uh, because it feels like uh, NASCAR is being railroaded uh, in some cases, and I do think that that this is highlighting a need for change in that area. Mike, go ahead with your final thoughts. Well, y'all seem to be really um, convinced that the Hendrick Motorsports penalty and the appeal process was incorrect, and the colleague was more correct and there's an inconsistency between the two and it's based on the assumption that well because it was the same part that was confiscated and it was the same initial penalty that was assessed it was the same that violation it was the exact same infraction well it was yes the same but no violation. it's like you say that how it, no two incidents on the racetrack are the same well in this case i would say that there's probably a lot more differences to these situations than maybe we know about and i think that may have uh, had something to do with how the appeal process was decided. So to say that, well, Hendrick Motorsports and Colleague Racing did the exact same thing because they got the exact same penalty, well, that may not be the case. Hendrick Motorsports, from the initial outset, said, hey, we don't think we did anything wrong. We have this, this has been a miscommunication. And they, they had strong indication that they had some sort of communication record that was going to, to prove their case and based on the, the, what happened at the appeal board, it seems like they must have had some sort of a strong case. Colleague Racing never really said much along those lines. And it leads me to believe that Colleague Racing may not have had the extensive communication that Hendrick Motorsports seems to have had that led the HMS to believe that they weren't committing a violation. I think Colleague's appeal is, based on, is going to be based on the supposed precedent set by the Hendrick Motorsports appeal. However, I think the, there's some assumptions about the similarities of these cases that I don't think are necessarily correct. 
So we'll talk about it in a minute, but that's where this transparency comes in, where it's so important to have the transparent process in place to remove these assumptions and potential hurt feelings or feelings of, of unfairness. And I think that's where we need to go from. Let me put this into perspective because there are a lot of assumptions that are being made here. And the assumptions are that of uh, the miscommunication. Uh, and I know Hendrick has said that, but here's the black and white rule that NASCAR has in place. You do not bring a modified spec part to the track, period. That is the rule. Two teams did that, okay? They brought a modified spec piece to the track. That is a violation of NASCAR's rules. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. You do not bring a modified spec piece. Communication is mute. It's a moot point because it doesn't matter what the communication was or wasn't or any of that. It's all a mute point because they brought the modified spec part to the track. So all that conversation about what the communication was is meaningless, okay? That's the black and white rule. They brought a modified spec part to the track. Whether they raced it or not, that is a mute point because had they, they brought it to the track, had NASCAR not caught them with that modified spec part, then they would have raced with that part on their car. It was an illegal part. That's not acceptable. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether they raced it or not. They brought it to the track with the intention to race it. So I think it's pretty clear that all of this conversation around communication and they didn't race it on the track, it's all chatter. It means nothing. They brought a modified spec part to the track, and they're not supposed to do that. It is the exact same violation for Kendrick as it is for Colleague. okay? So I want to make sure we're very clear on that point. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to the next points because it's all part of this bigger conversation. Jay, do you want to get into um, the next part, which are the new uh, penalties? that have come out today. Well, thank you for putting that on me. Um, there were some modifications, <laughs> and part of it is to try and attempt to clear up this, several of these issues. Um, with this, I think we got three parts as well. The parts can be displayed, and uh, Steve O'Donnell addressed that going back to old school. That's the, modi they said that's they the modifications to the rules. We're right. into okay. the new so, penalties. With, with that as well, though, um, they will release what was discussed at the panel and ask the panel to provide a reason as to why. Am I still but not we getting this right? we're going to discuss that as part of the third stage, Jay. That's okay, the third Okay, what is it you're looking for to discuss next? Okay, the well, new I'm sorry. What, that what came we... out today. 
Oh, the okay, okay. Uh, yeah, see, we got so much going on with penalties. I know. Gotcha. The, the number uh, 24 of William Byron and the number 40, or 88, 48, whatever it is. Now I'm all confused, of William Byron. Um, I just added something to that particular take on this. Those cars, the cars they take to the R&D center do not have to be random. I know they use the term random, but they can choose any cars they want. If they don't yeah. have somebody specific in mind, they do it randomly. I didn't know that. I really thought it was supposed to be a random. But uh, with that, uh, obviously, again, we're under the same boat. NASCAR, whether they got word of it, saw it, somebody reported it, doesn't matter. They wanted those cars. They took them. They found something. They penalized them. Um, if I were HMS, especially following the couple of situations we've had, be on point. I mean, I think about there's two uh, two that I know of from the local dirt track. Whether you've been doing it all year or whatever, if you're, the focus is on you, you know you're going to get looked at. Call it discrimination, whatever you want. If there is the belief that you're cheating, you're going to get looked at. So they had to know that they were probably going to get looked at maybe a little bit closer. Um, so to have something else different or whatever, just a bad idea in my opinion. I, and whether they've been doing this modification all year, and this is where I think back to one at, the, at my local dirt track. I won't use any names, but their answer was, well, I got away with it last week. They didn't, they didn't say anything last week. It doesn't matter. Sharon, it goes back to what you said. Black and white. Is the part of the car illegal? doesn't matter if it was or not last week. We can't fix that. We have a car here you ran this weekend. It was illegal. That's what we're addressing here and now. Um, so hopefully these get upheld if the case is that they were illegal and modified. Okay. Um, so it's the same thing. They had a part on their car that was not up to spec, right? That there's a, the greenhouse, some modifications had been made within the greenhouse. Uh, Mike had the thing up on exactly what area it was. Initially, it appeared to be within the windshield area, but it's in the greenhouse uh, portion of the car. Okay. Tommy, your thoughts about the new penalty? <laughs> well, like I was going to say, I mean, they just had a suspension lifted last week or reduced or whatever you want to call it, reduced, uh, um, rescinded. So right after the race, when Bob Pockrass tweeted that, it was like, we and Byron and Alex Bowman's cars are going to the R&D center. I was like, I was thinking, I was like, okay, they're probably going to find something with two, two of those cars, and they did. And I think it's just because they're trying to make it look like they're not playing favorites. Personally, that's what I think. Um, maybe these penalties will be upheld this time. But, I mean, <laughs> kind of like what Jay just said, you know, you're under the microscope. Why would you two weeks in a row or three weeks in a row bring a, a, another part that you shouldn't have on the car to the track? And, I mean, and they're obviously being looked at. It just wasn't a good decision. I mean, I really think Hendrick is becoming the Patriots of, the, of NASCAR. I mean, just they're good, they're winning, and they're under the microscope, and they're going to uncover something. I mean, it's just the way it is. 
people don't like them, that's never going to change. Uh, I'm still going to pull for that 24 car. I know that he had an illegal part on the car, but, you know, the part about William Byron that I didn't get was he was going to finish in the top five or maybe even win the race if um, Christopher Bell didn't uh, wreck him and then blame Ross Chastain for it, which was just crazy. But, um, you know, he finished in, like, the 20-something place, and they still took that car back to the R&D center and found something wrong with it. So I, I, have, no, I have no clue what's going on. Um, just get more consistent or stop cheating, one or the other. Well, NASCAR would like to stop cheating part of it. Uh, Mike, your, your thoughts about the new penalty? This, this is ugly all around, really. I mean, obviously it's ugly for HMS to get caught with something else amiss here. Uh, and what it was, the, 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 according to the diagram that Bob Pockers posted, it has to do with the in front of the windshield where the windshield wiper motor mounts. Remember, on all short tracks, not counting Bristol and Dover, uh, NASCAR has a rain package that includes a windshield wiper system, and NASCAR specifically allows the teams to modify that piece in front of the windshield to accommodate the windshield wiper motor. Uh, the tweet that Bob put out didn't get into specifics about what HMS allegedly did versus what they're supposed to do, uh, but it did imply that there's a little bit more leeway there versus a regular Gen 7 spec part of you have to run it how it comes out of the box, um, so there were modifications that were made there, some of which apparently are allowed by the rule book, but I don't know whether they went too far with what they did or specifically what was found. So obviously NASCAR found something they didn't like. Unfortunately, I think this is kind of ugly on NASCAR's part as well. And it's really similar to last year, the same kind of almost petty look that they had when the week after Kevin Harvick criticizes the, the quality of the parts on the race car, suddenly the, the four car goes to the R&D center. What do you know? They find something on the four car. It almost feels like NASCAR took a big loss with the, the appeal from the Hendrick Motorsports. So we're going to get HMS. And the very next week, they take two HMS cars to the R&D center. And what do you know? They find something wrong on the HMS cars. And I'm not saying it's right that HMS was modifying the parts or anything, but it, like I said, it almost feels a little a little targeted and petty of would those cars have gone to R&D if, if NASCAR hadn't lost the appeal? Probably not. Even if they had gone to R&D, would they have used a big magnifying glass on them? Probably not. And that's just kind of the perception of what's going on right now with NASCAR's penalty enforcement. It's, it's kind of unfortunate in my opinion. Okay. Uh, I have a little bit different take on this. Um, I think about Ricky Brooks uh, from the Snowball Derby. And, Jay, I know you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they call his inspection area the Room of Doom because if, he he, he, if he's going to find it, your car's not going to race. Um, and NASCAR, because they want to make sure that when they have a race winner, it's somebody who won with a legitimate legal car nascar came into last season and this season with the next gen car they took the opportunity with this next gen car to say we want to crown a legitimate winner we don't want there to be any question that they are bringing legal cars whoever our champion is 
we want to that we we want to make sure that they've driven legal cars all year. Um, <clears throat> they want to change the old adage: if you're not cheating, you're not trying. They want to make changes within NASCAR. Change is difficult. A lot of people resist change. A lot of people don't want to see change, and so um, they resist it. That's what's happening here. <laughs> These teams are looking for every competitive edge that they can find. They're paid to look for every competitive edge that they can find. But NASCAR's told them that this is a car that you're not going to be able to find competitive advantages as easily as you have in the past. We're giving you spec parts. We want you to use those spec parts and so on and so forth. Now, it sounds like this latest penalty has a little bit more of a uh, open window for them or a gray area is what we used to call it. But NASCAR found something that they didn't feel was right, and so they put out a penalty today. <clears throat> and I know teams are looking for every competitive advantage. Their owners want them to look for every competitive advantage that they can find. But NASCAR has asked them to stay within the rule book as much as they can. A lot of these teams want to try to find every competitive advantage they can find. And, and like I say, I know they're, everybody's expecting them to find every competitive advantage. But NASCAR has kind of closed the door on how much room that they have to look for that. So we'll see how this second penalty comes about. We'll see how much... Liberty, maybe Hendrick Motorsports took. But part of the problem, and we'll address this with the next uh, topic, but part of the problem that we're talking about here is, and I see that it's time for my announcement too, is that there isn't transparency. We don't know all of the facts. So we speculate on what those facts might be, but we really don't know what the facts are unless somebody tells us. So that's part of the problem here. Uh, let me go ahead and make the announcement before I completely run out of time. But for our new listeners, we have uh, we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time here, and you're going to hear us continuing to have our conversation here. And uh, so when we go off the air, we do continue to record the rest of that conversation, and it's part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. When we get finished here tonight, we will go out on uh, Twitter and Facebook, and I'll post the link to let you know that the podcast is available. At that point, you can go to the player, fmforracing.com, and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of our conversation. And I think it's important <laughs> Uh, to hear all of the conversation uh, because we we are stealing on a lot of our conversation here tonight, and I want to make sure that we keep it uh, to what we know are the facts. So um, let's. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go on to, to Jay and get his thoughts on the new penalty. Well, Sharon, you hit on something that Steve O'Donnell addressed. It's that changing the mindset. He said changing the culture. With the next-gen car, they said, hey, these spec parts don't mess with. I don't want to say they were lenient last year, but they understood it was new to everybody. 
maybe a little bit of give and take and uh, understanding. That's not the case no more. You've had it for a whole year. Stop doing it. Uh, in my mind, I think of the movie Liar, Liar, with Jim Carrey, when the guy calls in about he broke the law. Stop breaking the law. You know, um, I go back to a different short track team that I work with here locally. They've been beating up on people, whooping them. They went up to Bristol. They got caught with something that was a different rule and they didn't understand. They acknowledge that. Anywhere else they run, they beg for their car to go through tech and be proved 100% legal because they have that perception. They make it a point. You want to tear my car down? Go ahead. I dare you. I want you to. So that's where I think HMS should be rather than on this case of they've been targeted again because that gives the impression they're being picked on. If your car is legal, you ain't got to worry about it. So exactly, that's my biggest biggest thing. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not necessarily a huge HMS fan, but I'm not anti against them either. I just want to see, like Sharon does, know that whatever car is winning, whoever it be, it's it, it's a legal car. Um, and then we went, we kind of got around about it too of the last penalty of. Do they have to wait till after the race to take it? No. If you got the car there, had H, uh, NASCAR not taken the louvers, uh, HMS was going to run those cars. So that point is absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. I think Clint Boyer said it. Their intent was well, they did not have other parts there to put on in case they got looked at. They had to go scramble when NASCAR took them. Their intent was to race it. So take that out the window. I, that just, like Karen said, you show up at the track with it, you're going to race it if we don't do something about it. Um, and I said, going back to the, the final part I learned tonight, like I said, I thought it was a random. I found it funny that the random cars were HMS. Bob Pockris clarified that. It does not have to be random. If they don't have a reason to take said specific cars, then they will pull random just to make sure that everybody is up to speed. That's a good point. Tommy, your thoughts? I really don't have much to add. I'm just looking for some more consistency, um, you know, and I just want Hendrick to stop getting busted for cheated calls. Like I said, I like Hendrick Motorsports and the Patriots, and they always seem to be getting busted here lately for stuff. So just stop bringing illegal parts to the track because I don't think they needed to win anyway. Okay, Mike. Nothing more to add on this one. I'm uh, I'm dusting off my soapbox and getting it good and ready for the next one. <laughs> yeah, because the next one's going to be a good one. Yeah, I like Hendrick Motorsports. I really do. Uh, but I, I don't like it when they push beyond the envelope. Uh, and um, it's kind of like your kids. You love your kids, but you don't always like everything that they do. And that's how I feel about Hendrick Motorsports. I love having Hendrick Motorsports as a part of NASCAR, but sometimes I don't like the things that they do. And and these are some of the things that I really don't like about Hendrick Motorsports. Um, and And I like the team. I like all the drivers on the team. We've talked to a lot of those drivers and followed them through – through their careers. Alex Bowman, my God, Alex Bowman was a a late model driver out in uh, Arizona when we first started talking to him. So 
I, I like Hendrick Motorsports, and I like those drivers. I just don't like what Hendrick Motorsports as an organization is doing. They're not listening to NASCAR and, and their efforts to try to change the culture and to change the way that they do business. They're resisting it, and they need to stop doing that. Um, and, and I think NASCAR, um, has, has, uh, they're, they're making it known, especially with this next topic that we're going to talk about. They're making it known that they're not, they're not just lightly saying that they want to change the culture. They mean it. They want to change the culture. It's just going to take a while for people to get on board with it. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, as we kind of progress through this. Jay? I guess uh, on this point, I I don't have anything. Yeah, no, I I don't have anything further to add to this one. Um, Hopefully the appeals, or if there is an appeal, or this all goes away. We want to talk about racing, not the penalties and who did what. No kidding. (laughs) No kidding. Okay, the one that everybody's been waiting for, uh, and Tommy, you're at the top on this one, but uh, we're going to go to Mike for the first comment. I know he said he's going to get his uh, soapbox ready. But it's the announcements from NASCAR that they are modifying their rules uh, as a result of recent activity, Uh, the the appeal the the penalties that they've issued the appeal process and the new uh, penalties that have come out today that's why I went with this progression of the conversation uh, let's talk about the modifications now Mike that they've uh, put out today uh, and uh, as a result of all of this okay so um, a couple big ones here. The, they've taken away a lot of the discretion of the appeal panel to modify the penalties more or less how they see fit. So we all know that NASCAR has a certain schedule for penalty enforcement. If you do this, you, get, uh, you can have a penalty that is a range from here to here, right? Well, the appeals panel previously was able to say, ah, we don't want you on that scale at all. We're just going to take that penalty away completely. So, for example, if they – infraction says that the uh, the points penalty will be between 25 and 100 points and NASCAR gives you a 50 point penalty. The appeals panel can't say that's going to be a zero point penalty. The lowest they could take it would be 25 points. Um, I think I like that in terms of consistency and transparency. Um, It it gives a little bit more of a uh, a little bit less of a judgment call I guess as you put it in terms of what, uh, what a penalty is going to be. So now the appeals board's decision, I think, is going to be whether the penalty itself, um, the rules infraction itself, was legitimate or not. And I think we're going to see a lot more either complete overturns, there is no more penalty, or complete upholds, there is no change in the penalty whatsoever. So I think that's a benefit. Um, with regard to the transparency on the appeals board, this is where I really think there's going to be some benefit to be had. Um, there's kind of two pieces of it. One is with Steve O'Donnell saying that they were going to just start displaying confiscated, cheated parts, kind of like they did back in the 90s and the 2000s. Um, they're, going to, they're going to put those on public display so everyone who wants to see them can see what was the problem, and they, 
The concern of not doing it before is, hey, we don't want to be too forward with what we're catching because it's going to give teams the opportunity to know what we're looking for. I think at this point, though, the negatives outweigh the positives from that approach. The negatives being the perception of inconsistency, the perception of either favoritism or targeting, all that stuff I think kind of outweighed the advantage NASCAR had of trying to keep the cards close to the chest in terms of what they were enforcing and why they were enforcing it. So I think that's a big benefit there. And the other thing that I really, really like is now the appeals board to be able to provide a public statement of why they made a decision that they did. So, for example, to go back to the Hendrick Motorsports appeal, the appeals board can say Hendrick Motorsports produced a letter from the NASCAR R&D department that said, yes, those modifications you want to do are approved, and they showed up to the track with those modified parts. That hypothetical speculation, but that could potentially clear a whole lot of this uh, hurt feelings and concern and this idea that something is more binary than it really is, I think that will go a long way to clearing that air and take a lot of the concern about inconsistency, unfairness, favoritism, or otherwise out of the equation there. So I think that's out of all the changes to that, I think that's probably the best change that we can see that's going to benefit the entire sport going forward, in my opinion. Okay, Jay. Jay, are you yeah, still with us? I, I, the- Yep. Um, I know Steve O'Donnell addressed it, and I, I, didn't, I always thought it was that NASCAR didn't want to show the parts or area where teams were working because they didn't want other teams to give them ideas. They said, he said that it was that they didn't want to embarrass the team any further. Hey, you got caught cheating. Okay, we're not going to go into why or how. Um, as far as embarrassing the team by continuing to parade the part around. Um, so that was a different aspect. I, I kind of respect that, but as Mike said, it clarifies it. You know, this, hey, this is something that was done. You may be doing it or getting close to that. Don't do it. As well as Steve O'Donnell said, we've heard from the fans. They're listening to the fans. The fans want to understand. Some of them do. Some of them don't care or whatever. If they're not mechanical. Again, I can look at a part and still not understand it. So I'm one that doesn't necessarily. But I do think it needs to be, as the word has gotten used, transparent especially then when it comes to the appeals board. Why did they make that decision? What information was presented? I do think that needs to be available if somebody wants to look at it and understand it. Um, Again, I understand the concern that, well, then if they beat the system or whatever, it'll show teams how to go about it. I don't think so. I I mean, I really don't. I think the big thing that we got here – is is more of you can't take away what NASCAR has set as far as if they issued a points because he addressed that. He's aware that the fines just aren't working. They've got to hit them where it hurts, and that's the points, and the points are what have been being taken away. Um, I know even when the HMS one first got overturned that several within the industry, and I'm going to use Larry McReynolds, I think Andy Petrie was another one, Eric Almarola as a driver, didn't understand that. They said, okay, they're acknowledging they're guilty, but then they're not upholding the penalty, uh, which was the points, which is where it hurts. So they said it's either you're guilty and the penalty stand. Now, if they have a window of say, hey, it wasn't that severe, we're going to take it down to, as Mike said, the bottom end going to be 25, but you can't take away the points completely. That, I think, had to do with the fact that the entire industry, like I said, you got a broadcaster, a crew chief, 
um, team director, a driver, all saying that same thing of, hey, if they're guilty, why did some of the penalty go away completely? Um, so I think that's the big important one of all this. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Going back to the uh, Hendrick penalty here, uh, the appeals panel, the three board, the three-member appeals panel said they did violate the rules. But we're going to take away. Uh, we're going to take away the uh, deduction of the hundred points. So that's that's not going to happen with this modification. NASCAR generally has like a range of penalty uh, for each of the levels of penalties. And what they're saying is that in this case, and NASCAR made this change to the rule uh, after last year, I think last year they said if you're caught modifying a spec piece, it can be uh, a fine, a monetary fine, uh, and or a points deduction of playoff points as well as driver and owner points. They modified that rule last year to say they took out the or word. They said it would be a monetary fine and a points penalty to include playoff points for drivers and owners. So um, playoff points and driver and owner points. So that was clarified last year. Um, What they're saying now is, panel, if there is a – penalty and it includes a points penalty a financial penalty and a playoff point penalty you can't modify if you say that there was no rule violated then they don't get any of that penalty but you or you can modify or you can modify that penalty within the level range that NASCAR has given for that level of penalty. So, for instance, they did that with calling. It's a, there's a range there of the points penalty, and they, they reduced it by 25 points. They didn't take all of the points away. They reduced the point penalty. They can still reduce it across the board or any part of it, but it has to be within that range for that level of the penalty. Um, it's, not, it's not a black and white thing. So um, if they feel like there was no violation, then they can take that penalty away altogether. But it would be across the board. It wouldn't be bits and pieces of it. Um, but you, we won't see things like what happened with the Hendrick appeal, where they said, yes, they violated the rule, but we're going to take away the point. That's not going to happen anymore. I love the transparency of the rule of the modification uh, from NASCAR uh, regarding the appeals process. We needed the transparency because there has been all kind. People are convinced that there was a letter <laughs> uh, from Hendrick Motorsports. Well, it might be. What do you do if you're accused of doing something? You know you're guilty, but you don't want that person to know you're guilty, so you fudge it a little bit. You try to come up with a spin, right? Well, that's not going to happen anymore. They're not going to be able to spin uh, this anymore because it is transparent. It's there for everybody to see what exactly happened, and you won't have all this speculation 
of what is going on uh, with it. They can't come out and say it, it, it was a miscommunication and be very vague about it, uh, that there was some kind of miscommunication. As I said earlier, it doesn't matter what the communication was. It doesn't matter. Unless they have a letter signed by NASCAR and the director of of competition from NASCAR, they haven't been approved for that part. And and that we'll be able to see whether or not that letter even exists. Did they have a letter from the director of communications in NASCAR that said that they approved that part? If they don't, then they violated the rule. So... <clears throat> You can't wordsmith it anymore. You can't you can't put it out there and spin it uh, to your advantage for the general public uh, to speculate that uh, you know there's there's something that caused them to think that they were doing something right here. Um, so I, I think that the transparency is really really an important part of this, uh, and and I think we're going to see a change. Uh, and and the the thing about this, it's like I've said all along. Anytime there's a rule that's put in place, um, the people that complain about the rules are the are, are sometimes it's the few people that are violating the rules that are making the rules tighter for everybody. <laughs> so a lot of these teams can't afford to do what Hendrick Motorsports does. They take the risk versus the reward. They've got the money to pay the monetary fine. These lower-funded teams can't take that risk. NASCAR is looking for that parity within the sport so that everybody's playing on the same playing field. And this is a step closer to making that happen. It's a step closer to making sure that everybody's playing by the same rules and you might have people that can look for that loophole for you, but if you're not following the rules, you can't get by with it anymore. And I think this transparency is going to eliminate all of the speculation that takes place when we really, honestly and truly, we don't have the facts. So it's it's difficult to speculate when you don't have the facts. Now that information can be out there because the appeal, not only is the, are we going to know who was on that appeals panel, but we're going to know their justification for why they're, they're changing the uh, penalty for the team. So, and I think that's important. I think we need to have that to eliminate all of the speculation that goes on. Uh, and a lot, everybody does it. I'm not singling out any one person, everybody is speculating. So it will eliminate that. Tommy, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm definitely glad that they're doing this because like y'all are saying, now we'll be able to see what's going on and won't just be speculating that, you know, Hendrick is getting off easy and that they're the favorites and all that good stuff. So I'm glad that they're they're doing this and um, it'll definitely help clear some things up and you know, stop having eyebrows raised and questions asked and all that good stuff. So I don't really have a whole lot to add um, other than this is definitely a good thing um, to be able to see this. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? 
I think I alluded to this in a previous reply, but I think that's really a good thing in general for NASCAR. The perception here is NASCAR's penalty enforcement, rules enforcement, is a bit off the rails, and NASCAR's kind of lost control of it a little bit. Um, it used to be I, – I remember we were talking about this last year where we were talking about teams appealing penalties, and it was like, ha, ah, good luck, no one ever wins those things. And now all of a sudden NASCAR can't win an appeal. It, it, it seems like every single penalty, or just about every penalty, unless you're Denny Hamlin, that gets appealed gets at least modified, if not outright overturned. And that's a mag, major change of fortune there. And for whatever reason, the perception is that NASCAR got it wrong when they assessed that penalty. If a penalty goes to appeal and gets overturned, the perception, whether it's correct or not, is that NASCAR got it wrong. I don't think that's fair to NASCAR. I think they're doing the best that they can in terms of their rules enforcement. But I think their ambiguity and lack of clarity in the rule book, combined with the lack of transparency in the process, has kind of put them in the position that they're in right now, trying to climb back out of a hole of public perception with regard to the rules enforcement. Hopefully these changes will go a long way to making that improvement, and NASCAR can kind of get, uh, regain control of their own organization when it comes to the rules enforcement standpoint. Jay? Well, a couple of things. I go back to Sharon brought up, um, and now I can't remember his name, the room of doom. Oh, Ricky um, Brooks. Ricky Brooks. He didn't care who you were, what team you were with, how much money you had, nothing. If it was illegal, you were out, period. And I think that's where NASCAR is trying to establish, it may look like they're picking on, on Hendrick Motorsports, but if they've shown they will do it to the top team, you know, they're not just picking on any team or a little team that they know we can say, oh, we, we implemented a rule and we enforced it on this team. If they're going after the big teams, that's saying, hey, we're not going to tolerate it from anybody, um, no matter who you are. So I think that, that's been a big thing, as Mike said, the ones that have gotten overturned, giving that perception. Who's running NASCAR? Is it NASCAR or is it HMS? And we're just using them because that happens to be who, in the, who is in the news right now. I know last year it was with uh, SHR and um, Kevin Harvick. But I think that's important, that it doesn't matter who you are. The rule is the rule no matter who you are. Um, So I think that's a big thing. All of these things that they have changed now I think are going to be beneficial long term. The transparency, um, as as Sharon said, if HMS is saying, hey, we coordinated, there, proved it, okay, then you're good. You had permission or what was plausible permission, whatever, um, that it's justified. But other than that, I, I agree with the whole enforce the points because that's where they know it's now hurting the teams. That's what they get uptight about. Um, to have that completely wiped away, taking it out of their hands. Um, I did message or tried to message uh, Bob Pockers to see about NASCAR being able to go to a final appeal. I'm kind of curious as to whether or not that's possible. Yeah, I think uh, let us know when you find that out. Yeah, this is a process, and that's what I think we need to remember here as well. This is a process that they're going through. Again, it's a change process, uh, and and it's not an easy process to go through. Uh, it's like the, the, the clarification that I brought up earlier. A lot of people are saying NASCAR needs to be more consistent. Well, NASCAR is being consistent. It is the appeal panel <laughs> that is not showing the consistency um and and that will i think change as well 
NASCAR, of course, takes the blame. It's kind of like uh, Ross Chastain right now. Ross Chastain gets blamed for everything. Uh, somebody wrote that they got a flat tire on the work on the way to work, and they wanted to blame Ross Chastain for it. Um, so NASCAR takes the blame for a lot of things that are not their fault. And and I think this process, hopefully, uh, if people really break it down, they'll see that the inconsistency is with the appeals board. It is not with NASCAR. NASCAR is being consistent again, and and it is the appeals board and the different people on the appeals board that are being inconsistent with some teams getting appealed, uh, uh, rescinded, and others getting upheld. So uh, I, I think that it's going to – I think these are positive changes, uh, and this is NASCAR taking back control of their intention to change the culture within the garage. Um the teams are not going to like it. They they don't like change, <laughs> and we're we can't expect them to like it. They're not going to like it when they get caught, and they're going to say and and say things uh, when they get caught, just like a kid does. Uh, and you just have to keep talking to them, and and you finally can get to the truth. But the thing is, this is NASCAR taking control back. And I think that it is them going through the process of managing the change process that they're in. And and um, uh, they are clarifying the rules. And it, it, it is all part of the process. I, I think about, uh, you know, places that I've worked where rules haven't always been clear. And I was that kids looked at a math problem uh, I was the one kid that saw it differently than the other nine kids saw it for some reason. I I just see things differently for some reason. And and when um when I would appeal it to my teacher, sometimes she would see or he would see exactly what my point was and they'd give me the benefit of the doubt and I'd get my, my point back. But the thing is Sometimes I would appeal to the teacher, and I didn't get my point back. <laughs> but that this is the process that happens. Sometimes things are written in a way that one person reads it, and they read it this way. Another person reads it, and they read it another way. So they have to clarify that. So NASCAR is in that process, and I think that that's, that's exactly what we're seeing happen. They've seen where there are vulnerabilities, and they're tightening up the ship. So, Tommy, anything else that you want to add? No, ma'am. I'm think I'm good. Okay. Okay. We're at that time of the night where it's time for us to do our roundtable. So let's go ahead and do that. Mike, we'll start with you. Just to me, Mike underscore is L on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Um, get your dancing shoes, your magic monkey bones, uh, horseshoes, whatever lucky charms you can get, because it looks like for the third year in a row, rain is in the forecast this weekend for the Bristol Dirt Race. So we as race fans, it is our duty to collectively un-rain dance it away so we can have dry racing this weekend on the Bristol Dirt Track. Okay, Tommy, you got your rain dance shoes on? Uh, I do not. Uh, I'm hoping that it doesn't rain. I'm hoping that the forecast is wrong. 
<laughs> you and me both. Jay? Oh, Tommy, give us your handle. At Since95Fan on Twitter. Okay. And uh, uh, Jay? Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. I think Mike's, uh, whatever shoes he's wearing to unrain dance, I think is a little ridiculous, but he thinks my theory that I go with Daryl Waltrip is a little ridiculous and get the cars on track, get the vortex theory going and push that hot air up off the track and it'll keep the rain away. So oh, I'm going to go with that instead of the dance shoes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, and you're going to be at the racetrack this weekend, Jay? Well, weather permitting, uh, I will probably be at a track, but it might be working on the track there at Jackson Motor Speedway or Capital City Raceway. And one last thing, if you follow me on Twitter or if you guys want to check it out, people questioning why a special driver like Jonathan Davenport is coming in. Slow Racing has a battle between Kyle Larson and Jonathan Davenport at Volunteer Speedway in Tennessee, the entire crowd was on their feet as those two did slide job after slide job after slide job for the lead of that race. I'm watching it now. Yeah. Which, which Kyle Larson, oh, okay, I won't tell you. I won't say no more than if you're just watching it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and talking about being on track, we are back on track at Bamford Racing. We had uh, Sam uh Bornhorst to recap this week of Richmond, as well as uh, Owen's uh, power ranking. So you can read that all over at fanforacing.com. And uh, I am Fanforacing site on Twitter, Fanforacing blog and radio everywhere else, including on Facebook. And uh, uh, I know we had a lively discussion today. All points of view are are, uh, certainly appreciated and and uh, we don't mean to – we're just trying to put things out there uh, with the correct perspectives as much as we can uh, and without the speculation so that everybody has a fair understanding of, of what exactly is going on. Um, we did have earlier this week we had a conversation with uh, Sean Hingarani, he won the the uh, Arco West race out at Irwindale Speedway this week with Venturini Motorsports, which is normally an East Coast uh, team or a Midwest team. And uh, Venturini is going to run the full uh, uh, Arco East and Arco West series this year uh, for the first time. So uh, some historic times happening here. Uh, within the ARCA East and West with Venturini Motorsports. Um, and we also had a conversation with Jake Bowman, uh, B-O-L-L-M-A-N, uh, and he is a rookie in the ARCA West racing with High Point Racing, uh, and that's uh, Tim Huddleston's team from out there at Irwindale Speedway. So racing a part-time schedule this year. We look for him to be back next year uh, with High Point running full-time. So, um Anyway, both of those interviews are on our Monday night show, uh, and I'd really encourage everybody to take a listen to those. Uh, Mike had an article out this week, uh, or I guess it was late last week, uh, about just uh, how hard it is. Um, tell us, give us a synopsis of your article, Mike. 
Well, it's really examining the chaos that we had at the end of the Circuit of the Americas race, and I offered, I think, three or four different potential solutions that NASCAR could try to use to fix at least some of that problem. But there is no easy answer. (laughs) That's the ultimate – spoiler, that's the ultimate conclusion. Right. So – uh, yeah, that's that's a good article, and I encourage everybody to read that as well. So with that, uh, a big thank you to our listeners and to our Fan for Racing crew. I appreciate uh, everybody here, and uh, I'll look forward to us being back on the air this Monday night for the review of the Bristol Dirt Races, and uh, we'll be back here for a Hot Topic Sound Off as well. And something tells me we'll have some hot topics to discuss. Okay, with that, guys, I guess we're ready to call it a night. Good night, everybody. Instead of instead of everybody singing Kumbaya, let's all sing Rain, Rain, Go Away, Come Again Some Other Day. <laughs> okay, we'll let that be be our uh, mantra for the weekend. Okay, good night, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.